the Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night, all day. Good googly moogly, Eddie Bravo. Good googly moogly. What does that mean? That's uh, Joey Diaz's thing. Says, now everybody's saying it. And people say it all the time. When you see something fucking crazy, he goes, good googly moogly. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's stuck. I haven't heard that yet. That must be brand new. It's a fairly recent one. And Joey's been doing it for the past. Like, I'm, I'm sure it's an old saying. Like, You remember the Susquehanna hat store? One yeah. that he went off about the weed being Susquehanna weed. We didn't know what the fuck that meant. I, th- I bet good googly moogly is like that. It's probably something that dudes used to say to each other. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I've heard you that. You remember good googly moogly? Yeah, I think they used to say it in cartoons a lot. Actually, like old oh, now that you're saying that, I kind of remember hey, that. Googly yeah, oh, where did Goog- okay? Let's Google the origin of good googly moogly. What? Do you think that would uh, possibly? I bet, I bet everything comes up, man. All right. Yeah, right. Here's a okay. Let's see the origin of good googly moogly. Right. Yep, Urban Dictionary. Wow. Anywhere for a while. What are you? Pr- what are you doing? Googly. What are you playing? It's a commercial that has it on there. You spell it. Look, it's old man. Not going anywhere for a while. Great googly moogly. <laughs> hmm. Is that this, something that Mr. Magoo would say? Something like that. Yeah, I remember. My, I think my grandfather used to say it, or something, or it used to be in the old Looney Tunes, or. Well, it's in the Urban Dictionary, and a phrase used when a real thick female walks by, and you want to say, "Damn." <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like an updated. Uh, that's a, that's what it says. <laughs> they basically co-opted it. They hijacked it. Great I mean, googly moogly orange. How long is it going to take for Joey Diaz to be like an A-list actor? Just a tremendous sure phenomenon. Yeah, exactly. Right. Who's here's here's the origin. Here's the origin. Great good googly moogly is in Frank Zappa's song nanook rubs it the song was released in 1974 play it the term is now used as an utterance of great surprise huh wow i like I wonder... the first definition better <clears throat> yeah yeah well that's it works today that's the urban dictionary version of it. so when you see a girl that you can say something out loud good googly and, moogly. yeah you could and it's not offensive how could a girl get pissed off at that like especially you said, if you're not looking at her yeah you know what uh <laughs> Rasan hanging out with a couple Brazilian guys, and there's one Brazilian guy that he says would his pickup line was "My God!" <laughs> like he would just go <laughs> "My God!" <laughs> that works in Brazil, great, but not in the states. <laughs> <laughs> My God! That's all you need in Brazil. <laughs> That's all you exactly. Rolling. You just grab them and you just take them. <laughs> the girls are used to that shit. <laughs> What is it about Brazil that's so There's aggressive? way more girls in those countries. Like, in, in Brazil and Argentina are very similar in that there's way more girls than there is guys. In the beginning, when we first started training jiu-jitsu, the Machados, we'd hear all these stories about Brazil, and we all thought jiu-jitsu was as big as soccer in Brazil based on what they were telling us. <laughs> and they'd say, man, when you go to Brazil, 11 girls for every guy is incredible and we're like what so all these americans and shit dudes uh, carlos machado's guys all the texas guys are like we got to go to we got to go to brazil so in 2000 we went to to check it all out and uh it's true there is a a, 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 you just see that there's more girls is that like statistically it's got to be because you see it and you even see it more in argentina i was in argentina three years ago and you see 
just droves and gangs of girls just all together. But they react different to the situation in Argentina than Brazil. In Brazil, it's it's a lot easier to make moves on chicks in Brazil. But in Argentina, it it backfired. So girls are in Argentina. They're they're just like they don't trust dudes at all because dudes can can easily have multiple girlfriends and prostitution is totally legal. So girls in Argentina are pissed off and they just, they're like, why should I trust you? You're going to definitely have other girlfriends. And, and if I piss you off, you're going to go right to the whorehouses. Prove to me that you, you know, so wow. they're pissed off. The girls, that's, that's my experience in Argentina. Well, that's the one argument, I mean, against prostitution is that it, it forces, it, it allows rather guys to not be forced into relationships. <laughs> Like, how do you develop meaningful relationships yeah. and have children and all that jazz yeah. if there's legalized prostitution everywhere? Because if you've got a couple of bucks and someone starts talking shit, you just go, okay. You know, yeah, like, yeah. you start going, I don't need this. I don't need yeah. I don't need someone in my life yelling at me just so I can get my sex. I can just go right over there and Dude, get the my guy, sex. The guy that was taking us around in Argentina, we had a guide. He said that it's very typical that you go out on a date with a chick. You, you just, you know, you try the civilians. You try him out. And say, you know, the, the whorehouses are always going to be there. So he said he would just take a girl to a club and need to be dancing. And if, you know, he'd start putting his hands on her on the dance floor and try to grab her ass. And if she wasn't into it, if she didn't respond, he would just say, I'm going to the bathroom and just go right out and jump in a cab and go right to the whorehouse. He had no patience. That's what he was telling us. So that's why the girls are so pissed because girls are used to that. Girls are used to guys just saying, okay, I'm out. You know, they're like, are you? Yeah. They don't have to take any, they don't have to beg, basically. What does that do to a culture? That's very strange when you stop and think about it. You know, because I'm, I'm a person that believes totally in personal freedom. And I don't think there's anything wrong with someone being a prostitute, if they want to be a prostitute. I think if you were working at Denny's, serving people food for fucking $3 an hour, or someone says, hey, you're getting 100 bucks an hour, you could fuck a bunch of nice guys. <laughs> You know, why not? Why not do that? I'm not saying that it should be something that people pursue, but why is it okay to give someone a hug? Why is it okay to give someone a massage and it's not okay to suck their dick? Why is it you you could pay for a massage, someone who doesn't want to touch you, rubs on you for an hour and a half? But you, you're telling me that, there, first of all, we both know there are crazy girls out there that would probably love to blow a bunch of guys all day. They exist. They do porn. Yeah, I don't know why they exist, but they exist. You could say they exist because of abuse. You could say they exist because of childhood neglect. That's possible. I agree. But they exist. And it's not like you're supporting that market by creating whorehouses. Like the market, that, that, those people are going to be there no matter what you do unless you clean up society. So you're always going to have people that are off the rails. Why not? Disease, Why not have not? disease That's is that the big one? Disease? Yeah, yeah, because you have to control the disease with a back massage. You're not getting fucking AIDS. And- well, I, you Isn't know, isn't that I- crazy that you would think out of all the people on on the planet, hookers would be the first to get AIDS, and it's it's they're not really getting AIDS. Isn't that crazy? I don't know if anybody's really checking on hookers. <laughs> Going like, hey, how you doing? I is think they do. No, they are. Che- well, you know, you listen to that guy you had on your podcast, du- Duisburg. Oh, Duisburg. He said in Brazil. Uh, virtually none of the hookers have AIDS. I don't know if he's going down there with a fucking pap smear. (laughs) 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 That motherfucker's jacking anybody. I don't know about Duisburg, man. I I do not know. Um, I found the conversation with him to be absolutely fascinating and uh, very confusing. And I use the the phrase, uh, I hate it when I'm too dumb to know who's stupid. 
You know, yeah. I don't know if this one guy has it nailed and all these other doctors are out of their mind and they're all chasing a, a disease that doesn't exist. That doesn't make enough sense to me. It doesn't make enough sense when this guy starts talking about HIV and that HIV doesn't cause AIDS. But yet everyone else thinks it does. Like there's like serious peer-reviewed scientists that think it does. So that confuses the shit out of me. Yeah, He makes a lot of sense, though. He makes a lot of sense. That's what's even scarier. You break it down. That's what he was You know, the debate him and Callan had, I mean, it seemed at the very end of that, it seemed like as uh, skeptical as Brian is, it seemed like at the very end, based on your podcast, it sounded like he was starting to sort of believe him. It's a bad situation, first of all. It's unfair because Brian is not a geneticist. He has no... No engineering background or no bio uh, engineering background. He has no idea what Duisburg does for a living. Like his concept of like how it all works is so rudimentary. It's like for, so for him to debate a guy like that, it's not fair. He shouldn't have been doing it. Um, I I wanted to have him on because he's a smart dude. And you, you know, should get someone to debate him. Like yeah, I tried. Nobody wants to do it. It's really hard. I, I hired one of the reasons why um, we started working with Matt Staggs is that, that very reason to be able to get guests like that, to be able to get, um, you know, use a publicist to reach out and let someone know there's a legitimate show. We're trying to get to the bottom of something. No one wanted to touch it. Yeah. No one, one guy wanted to touch it, and then he had all this backlash, apparently, from his peers. People don't want you even debating Duesberg. They think that it's almost like debating a Holocaust denier, you know, b- debating someone, uh, you know, who, who believes really dangerous shit. And so they think that his, what his work has done has killed many, many people. I don't buy that, though. My problem with I don't buy, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. But these, these people that say, you know, Duesberg is responsible for all these people in Africa not taking their medication and all dying. His points about Africa were really fascinating. He was talking about how in Africa they say that everyone has AIDS, but they're not testing for HIV. They're, they're assuming these people have AIDS because their immune system is trounced. But you're also dealing with people that are exposed to a wide variety of other disorders and diseases, and they have terrible, terrible, terrible nutrition. And these people are not getting proper health care. And when you see they're sick, if they have AIDS, in quote, at least, you know, that, that qualifies for them to have funds, for them to get funding. If you're dealing with an AIDS epidemic, you get money. You yeah. get money from charities for an AIDS epidemic. You don't get money, you know, based on the fact that people aren't eating right. You don't get money based on the fact their immune system sucks because they're in a fucking tropical jungle. I talked to this disease expert um, when I was doing that sci-fi show, and he said that people who live in jungles, like people who live in tropical environments, 100% of them have diseases. 100%. He's like, they've all got something. He goes, everyone has something. And I was like, what do you mean like something? He's like, there's all sorts of different diseases. There's undiagnosed diseases. There's ailments that they just live with. There's parasites that get in their system. It's just, it's just, they get it. That's what, like the toxoplasma thing that we talked about. Yeah. That's why. It's like that, that kind of environment. How does a chick that lives in the Amazon jungle get into a river and not have vaginal parasites? (laughs) How is that possible? (laughs) They got to be covered with vaginal parasites. That must be a problem in you the jungle. You probably already have them from drinking water. Does it make no. their pussy feel better? No, it gives you fucking... <laughs> like bumpy in there? worms in there? Dick, <laughs> dick parasites. Dick leeches. Like you have dick barnacles. leeches. Dude, little tiny microscopic ones that you, dudes pull out on their own. And, go, and every time they pull one out, it's... Well, yeah, you're not joking like around. Tick. You're not joking around, man. There's, when there must be. Piss, I'm just saying there must be. No, yeah. listen, man. When dudes piss in the Amazon, they have to cover their dick. 
You have to piss into your hand. You got to cover your dick because fish will swim up your urethra. Tapeworms coming out of your penis hole. That's not bullshit. They they find your urine and they swim upriver into your dick, and then they they they, you have to cut them out. Why do they need? Isn't it? Wouldn't it be easier if they weren't pissing? Dude, the world is trying to kill you. No, but if you weren't pissing and you're in the the lagoon, isn't it easier? But you can't find the hole. It it follows the river of piss. Swims up the river. It's evolved to follow the river like salmon. (laughs) Swim up to your mighty... I used to have a joke about that. I used to have a joke about that. I didn't know there was a real uh, disease that did that. I used to joke about being at a a strip club and peeing really hard because I was scared that the VD from the toilet was going to swing upriver into my dick. That's hilarious. But I didn't know that they really, like something actually does that. pre-weed Rogan right there. That is. That's 99 (laughs) Rogan. But there's a rat, actually a, a fish that does that, like a parasite. Oh, like, what is it called? It swims Jesus. into your dick. Okay, let's find out. It swims. You can't uh, be banging Amazon chicks. You're which called Amazon fish you know the, swims the, into your dick. You know the kind of condom you would need. You would need a fucking NASA would have to make that condom. It's made out of Levi's. You'd yeah. have to be one of those condoms that that are actual shorts too. It's one piece. They're like booty shorts and a condom all in one. Oh, this thing is And so then you'd scary. have to tape that. Look, there's, it'd be too hard, dude. It's called the Kandiru. The Kandiru uh, is a toothpick fish or vampire fish, a species Ugh. of parasitic freshwater catfish Ugh. native to the Amazon basin Ugh. where it's found in countries of Bolivia, Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru. Jesus Christ. Oh, geez. Swims. Wow. The smaller species are known for a tendency to invade, alleged tendency to invade parasites and parasites the human urethra. However, despite ethnological reports dating back to the late 19th century, the first documented case of the removal of the candiru from a human urethra did not occur until 1997. And even that incident has remained a matter of controversy. Ugh. Huh, so it might be bullshit. Dude, they might have anal catfish. Well, look at that thing. How's that going to get in the tip of your dick unless you want it to? My shit's big. That could definitely get into vaginas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. girls yeah. being there. Fucking Amazon chick. <laughs> wow, this is weird. Okay, so this might totally be bullshit. Historical accounts. Earliest published reports of this Kandiru attacking human host comes from the German biologist C.F.P. <laughs> von Martius in 1829, who never actually observed it, but rather was told about it by the natives of the area, including <laughs> that men would tie a ligature around their penis oh. while going into the river to pretend this was happening. You know what that meant? That meant dudes were, they had cock rings on, they got busted. And they're like, no, 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 there's a fish. Dude. <laughs> Fry up your dick. Dude. You sound like, a, like we're about to take a trip into the Amazon, and one dude's all into banging Amazon chicks, and you're like, dude, look at this, man. Like, no, it's bullshit. I totally believe it. It makes sense. Yeah, I believe all that shit. It kind of does, but it seems like there was only one case where one was pulled out of a dude's dick. Maybe they just, they're just comfortable with them, and they just <laughs> live with them. They just know them. Well, let's go- Google up Kandiru removed from dick. It's probably a guy that put it in his dick. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Yeah. That's no, what they're saying. They're saying punching Amazon uh, girl vaginal parasite. Ooh, I'm here's scared. here's something on AOL.com about an eel that sw- swam up somebody's penis and it had to be surgically removed. Okay, well hold on a second. There's a fucking there's a penis removal video. Yeah, dude. Oh my God. Go to this. Kandiro penis removal operation. Oh no. Yes, yes, yes. Get to that. 
Kendiru, C-A-N-D-I-R-U, penis removal operation. Good googly moogly is all I have to say. This is fucking crazy, man. This is fucking crazy. Did you get it? Mm. Click on this. Wait to see this shit. They, they got one of them scopes. And so they're going down this guy's urethra. Oh. Look, he's got a fish. He's got a little baby oh. fish camped out inside his pecker. Oh, my God. Can you imagine in your fucking piss hole? This guy, oh, my God, it's got eyes. It's a fucking fish. Jesus Christ. Oh. There's a fish in this guy's dick. This is madness. This is fucking madness. This is a real thing. This fish really does swim into your dick, and you got to send this dude in there with a vacuum cleaner, a vacuum cleaver with a camera in the end of it to suck it out of there. And then the fish is swimming away from your dick. Is this in... In the Amazon or what? It says... Where does this happen? Um, yes. It said it lodged in the penis of Silvio Barbosa after urinating in the Amazon River tributary. Dr. Anwar Samad removes the Kandiru fish in a two-hour operation. Dude. He's got to keep going in there. Look at how many they're in there. Oh. Oh, my oh. God. Could oh, my God. His, it's like his ass is packed with dicks. But it's not. It's his penis packed with fish. Couldn't you just like put a poison in that killed them all? And that would kill your dick too, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it had to be something. You don't want to inject poison into your dick. What if it breaks your dick? You got to let the bad man with the vacuum cleaner go in there and do his business. Well, how did they deal with it before doctors? They didn't. They would just die? They just die. Rotten dick. Yeah, they'd just have a, a fish living in their dick. You're not getting it out. What are you going to do? You're going to send a fucking fish hook in there? Maybe a shaman could do something. Put a little baby cat. Blow there. on it. Blow some that would probably work. ayahuasca <laughs> dust on it. <laughs> this last uh, year, uh, this last um, uh, weekend's UFC. You know uh, Hootsie? Do you know who he is? Hootsie. The, uh, he, the, um, uh, he's an AKA striking coach. No. You know that guy? Uh-uh. He's a badass striking coach. And I thought really it was something Mendez or something. That's Javier Mendez. Yeah, yeah but who, he he did some stuff with him too. His um, I forget his last name, but uh, anyway, he uh, this dude got KO'd, and he was like singing a song for him. Was it his fighter? Was out? No, no, it was the other dude's like, fighter. He was taking care of you know corners and shit. And so, you know how they have a bunch of different um, guys who uh, are trainers or, or uh, commission guys? who Commission uh, guys. And who are, you know, taking care of various things like cut men and stuff yeah. like that. And they run in, take care of corners, do various things. So they're not, that night he wasn't part right. of a he team. he wasn't with that guy. He was camp. with the commission. Exactly. So the, um, I don't know, you know, his exact uh, business he was doing there. Anyway, when the dude was out, he was singing him an ayahuasca song. Nice. And I and I you know, I talked to him about it and he's like he's in the place of the dreams. You know, I tried to make him comfort give him comfort <laughs> while he was there. You know, be serious about it. It's pretty pretty intense. You know, he's a he's an ayahuasca shaman. So he'll he do he does like ceremonies and shit. Damn. Yeah. yeah so it was it was pretty cool. How often do you it see this weird. guy? I see him all the time. Tell him I'm interested in doing a ceremony with him. Oh he'll do it, yeah. I'm down. We'll come down. Yeah, bring him down to Dean LA. Lister wants to do a, uh, oh, I'm not a ceremony. Doing it with him. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I, you know, too too much troubles. <laughs> too much troubles, really? <laughs> Dean, MMA fighter. He's. A, I'm just <laughs> I like I like Dean. He's yeah, a good dude. Yeah. Is he retired from MMA? I don't know, but I was with him all weekend in China for Abu Dhabi. Did he compete? Yeah, he did. How did he do? He did great. He had four or five heel hooks. He didn't win the gold medal in anything, but. 
he may have gotten third in his division. Dean Lewis is a badass grappler. Tough dudes this year. Holy shit. China stinks. And if I never go back there again, I mean, it's... it stinks like literally. Like my bathroom and my hotel stunk like the sewer. It was like the water. They turn off the water and then they turn it on. But uh, the people are beautiful in China. They're beautiful, but it just, they just have a problem in Beijing with their sewers, man. It's just woo. You walk down the street and every block, you're like, whoa, Jesus. What is it? Just that? too many people. Did someone die or did someone take a shit? Um, I don't know if it's that. It's just old, but. Abu Dhabi was amazing. The whole the tournament, Jesus Christ, there was so much. So I mean, uh, uh, you know, Amir Alam, one of my brown belts, fought in the heavyweight division, and he trained his ass off. Man, he was ready. He was on fire, and we get a an unknown in the first round. So we're thinking, awesome, we should beat this guy. We didn't. His last name was Dop, Jared Dop. We thought, okay, we should be able to beat this guy. This. Because he could easily had Cyborg in the first round. Right. He could easily had Buchecha in the first round. That would have been fuck. Okay, good luck. <laughs> you know, but and for people who don't understand, cy- there's a bunch of cyborgs. Oh yeah, yeah. you only you only heard of Cyborg, the woman fighter. She and there's an MMA a, Cyborg too. Her, not hus- that one. her ex-husband is an MMA fighter named Cyborg. But yeah. there's a. Roberto Abreu, is that how you say yeah, his name? Yeah, yeah. Badass jiu He guy. won the absolute. He's amazing. Yeah. This guy impressed the shit out of me. He's so big. He's a fucking ox, but he moves like a gazelle, dude. Yeah. It was incredible. There's a couple passes that he did that just blew my mind. I'm like running it in. I'm on the plane on the way back going over that pass. I go, I can't forget that pass. I got to analyze it. It was amazing tech. There was... At least 10 different techniques where I logged it in my brain. I got to go back and check that one out. Like, yeah. uh, Cobrina, uh, the guy who won it all in the lightweight, he finally beat Hafa Mendez, man. Hafa Mendez won the last two years. He's virtually indestructible. Uh, uh, him and Cobrina were in the finals again, and Cobrina won. He pulled it out. A judge's decision at the end. They couldn't spo- score any points on each wow. other. They just canceled each what other. What do you think about those, though? Aren't those weird when the judges make a score? And yeah. You, I, well, I have a real problem with that. Well, the one thing I love about Abu Dhabi is the Sheik is, is he's, I mean, he's such a badass. The Sheik just decides to put together the best jiu-jitsu tournament on the planet. He just makes it happen. He pays for it. It's all, all, all over the world. One year it's in Sao Paulo. One year it's in Barcelona. It's in LA. It's in China. It's amazing. The Sheik just throws down and he makes shit happen. And he he created the rules and the format based on what he thought would be best for enter, the entertainment value. So he's down to evolve. Over the years, he's tweaked stuff. He's like the Japanese. The Japanese in pride, as soon as they recognize a problem, they fucking change for people who have no idea what we're talking about the uh, Abu Dhabi is Abu Dhabi combat championships right Abu, Abu Dhabi, Dhabi combat, combat club. club they have the biggest jiu-jitsu no-gi jiu-jitsu tournament in the world they have this huge thing and it's put together by how do you say his name Chick Tanun Tanun yeah he uh, is also part owner of the UFC, and he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He's a huge yeah. jiu-jitsu fan. Yeah. So he put together like this enormous grappling competition that's the most prestigious grappling uh, event in the world. And so Eddie was just there in China with one yeah. of your fighters. Yeah. So how did he do against what, this dude? Well, 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 let me finish what I was saying oh, yeah. about the Sheik. Is, uh, we're talking about, we're getting the to the rules. format, the rules. Yeah. So, you know, 
one of the coolest thing that he changed was the same day weigh-in. He changed that shit. And not only is it... Because uh, generally, especially in MMA and pro-MMA, you weigh in officially the day before. And then you have 24 hours to recover. So that's huge in deciding what weight category you're going to compete in and how you're going to lose the weight. and how you're gonna, It's massive. If you have to do a same day weigh-in, ooh, shit. Everything changes now. You can't have that crazy diabolical cut that you're, you're used to. Now it's a little different. And the IBJJF changed it too. They make it, you weigh in right before you step on the mat. And if you weigh uh, even a pound over, boom, you're gone. So Abu Dhabi, the Sheik, he, he added, did the same thing. You do, not only is it same day weigh-ins, but you got to weigh in, the, you got to weigh in the day before. The day of oh, wow. and the next day, if you make it to the third, uh, the third round, you have to keep weighing in. I was gonna say because it seems kind of dangerous if you just did it right before you went in. Because some guys would still probably push themselves to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's risky because you you see these high level grapplers every now and then you see them gas, and they try to cut too much weight, and you don't have that much time to recover. So if you're gonna do a same day weigh in, especially mat side weigh in, wow. man, you just gotta get in the best shape of your life and figure out what weight that is, and you really you really can't cut really, or, or you're gonna pay for it. You're gonna gas out. And uh, some people still take the chance, though. But with the rules, uh, the Sheik decided the best thing to do to uh, uh, ensure action most of the time, because no matter how you put together the rules, you're gonna not every match is gonna be exciting. You have to accept that. But you're always looking to make make the majority. You're, you're striving for the majority of the, the matches to be exciting. So in Abu Dhabi, every tournament does shit different. But in Abu Dhabi, they're ten minute matches. The finals are twenty minute matches. But in these ten minute matches. The first five minutes, there's no points at all. They don't count anything. And the second five minutes, that's when the points start. And if you pull guard, you lose a point. So that, that's huge when strategizing for a fight. Because when you're competing in this... Explain to people why the first five minutes there's no points. That was, that was instilled Yeah, that was instilled so that if there's no points, you'd be uh, fighters would, would take more chances. Because generally, if there's points counting all the time, you don't want to take any chances. One wrong slip, dude's up two points. Now he's up, he's just going to hold. He doesn't really think about the submission. He's just trying to get to the next round. So it changes the dynamics of your strategy and, and how it all plays out. So the Sheik thought, okay, let's, let's, let's try to shake it up. First five minutes, no points. So the, uh, the fighters will take more chances, and that turns into entertainment for the viewer. So that happens sometimes with some fighters. Like Jean-Jacques Machado, <laughs> he took advantage of that. He went out there, pulled guard, and got the party rolling. He's like, okay, I'm going to sit down. You get on top. Let's go. I'm not going to spend five minutes trying to take you down. I'm not a wrestler. You wrestled your whole life. Let's just get the party started. I'll, get, I'll let you get on top. I'll kick the ball off to you. Let you I'll let you receive first. How about that? That's all that is. So in the first round, guys will do that. They're like, I'm not going to spend all my energy trying to take a dude down. It's not a wrestling competition. So they sit down. The problem is, in the second half of the match, if you decide to sit down, you lose a point. So the, the, the ref goes, points, at five minutes. So wherever you're at, the next transition, that uh, you know... Uh, like if you already have the guys back at that five minute mark, they don't give you the points. You have to lose the back and then get it back. So a lot of weird stuff that I didn't understand. But but gen but again, the point of this weird uh, format is to make it better. So the Sheik is always trying to make it better. And the one thing I'm pretty sure he's going to he's he's got to change that uh, losing a point 
if you pull guard because that changes a lot. We saw a lot of, not a lot, but a couple of the finals where both jiu-jitsu guys, world-class jiu-jitsu guys like Cobrina and Hoffa, some of the two best guys in the world, very good at submissions, amazing at passing, unbelievable, beautiful jiu-jitsu. What you had in their match is nobody wanted to pull guard because in the, in the finals, you lose a point right away. They don't give you, it's not the first half, no points. Well, and that really does come from guys just having shitty guards. It comes from people not realizing how dangerous a guard is if a guy's a real bad motherfucker with it. Yeah, and we saw that too. One of the competitors came in. He's a like a 22-year-old kid. Him and his brother are real famous. They just got their black belts. They're the Meow brothers. They're like Machida, like half Japanese, half Brazilian from Brazil. Like meow, Jura. like a kitty cat yeah. meow? But it's like Sao Paulo, Meow. But okay. it's not really like Meow Meow Cat. It right. could be, but it's spelled, I think, M-I-Y-A-O. They should get Brian to design you know their I mean? shirts. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, these guys, all they do is pull guard and play De La Hiva and Spiral Guard uh, relentlessly. They don't stop. That's all they do. They're relentless. They have an infinite amount of cardio, and that's, that's his style. He sits ass. He has zero wrestling. So that's why he lost. He lost because, bam. So what ends up happening with this rule set, which was aimed at making it more entertaining, but what's happening now, um, and I'm sure the Sheik's going to see this because everyone's talking about it on the internet. I'm not the only one. Everyone's talking. Everyone, as they were watching, everyone came to the same conclusion. They're like, oh, there's a problem here. Hmm, we got a problem. The Sheik is one of those guys that will fix it. And, he, and he's got to fix it. Because the problem was we had Cobrina and Hoffa in the finals. And they never, they, they never, tr- they just tried to take each other down and they couldn't because they're not wrestlers. The wrestling is decent, you know. But uh, according to dudes who know wrestling, like dudes who wrestled in college, they'll say they're at like a, a high school uh, state champion level, you know. Mm-hmm. Not D1 all-American Johnny Hendricks level, right? Right. Whole different animal. Yeah. So what we end up getting is 20 minutes of two dudes who have okay wrestling, you know, like D5 wrestling, going at it, and we don't see any jiu-jitsu. Cause no they one took anyone down? They don't want to pull guard. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's way easier to not get taken down than to take someone down. It's way yeah. easier. Like, if your whole focus is I'm not going to get taken down yeah. and you're going to take me down, even if you wrestled in college... And I didn't wrestle in college. It's still going to be hard for you to, of course, I have to work on it. But you can get that takedown defense a lot quicker than you can. Uh, takedown turn... ability. Exactly. Exactly. Takedown ability, man. That takes a long, long, long time. Sprawling can come easier. So what you end up having is two dudes that uh, were wrestling for a very long time. They got to the ground briefly a couple times. And they went to double overtime, triple overtime. It went forever. And at the very end, zero, zero. The ref makes the decision and gave it to Cobrina. So, so how does that work? How can a ref make a decision like that? That's what the initial. That's how we got started off. Yeah. I don't. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't buy that. Yeah. How does that guy walk away with a win? I mean, I understand that they were, you know, they're the elite of the elite, and two of the best in the world. I guess someone has to win. Yeah. But that yeah. doesn't make any sense yeah. to me. Yeah. The rules need revamping, and I'm. Quite positive that the Sheik is going to take that. Because what you end up having, if you don't lose a point for pulling guard, it's, you know, losing a point for pulling guard is like this. I, I use a football analogy when I'm trying to explain jiu-jitsu to someone who doesn't know anything about jiu-jitsu. I, do you understand the, the rules of football and the strategy? And most Americans do. So I, it's just like football. There's, uh, you, generally, a guy has a ball and 
the team has a has the ball and they're marching down the field and then a team is defending, trying not to let them march down the field. Same thing. Guy on top in jujitsu is trying to march down the field. Guy on bottom is playing defense. He the guy on defense can score, but it's not uh it's a lot easier to score when you're on top and you can use your weight because you have it's like you have the ball, you're scoring. But the defensive football team can intercept and run back for a touchdown. They can score. Some teams are very high. So, but it's rare. Same thing with the bottom. It's rare that there's guys that can score a lot off their back. But generally, you want to be on top. You want to have the ball. If you're on top, you're in someone's open guard. It's like you're on the 20-yard line. You get on to top half, you're like at the 50-yard line. You pass the side control. You can score from side control, but it's a lot easier if you score from the back. So side control is like the 35-yard the line. The mount is like the 20-yard line. Now you're in the red zone. And if you get the dudes back, first and goal on the 10. That's Basically, it's the same thing. You're marching down the field. You're getting into scoring position. Yes, you can score from midfield. You know, you could score from top half. You could throw a guillotine. You can throw darces. But it's easier when you're on their back. It's easier when you're right there on the 10-yard line. So in football... The way they start the game is the ref flips a coin. Someone, one of the teams picks heads or tails, and uh, I think it's the visiting team. And then if it's heads, whoever wins the coin toss gets to decide who receives and who kicks off. Generally, a large percentage of the time, if you win the coin toss, you say, we're going to receive, and you're going to kick off. We're going to be on offense first. You're going to be on defense first. I'm going to be on top in your open guard. You're going to be on the bottom. You flip a coin, you have to choose. Fuck yeah. Generally. I would too. I'd say, I- wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. So you're saying that you should do a match where you flip a coin? Decide no, 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 no. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, so uh, sometimes a team will choose to kick right. off and not receive. That's kind of like if we're going to grapple and I sit down, I chose to play defense first. That's right. what a guard puller is. It doesn't yeah. happen that often. So it's penalizing someone one point for sitting on their butt, for letting the guy get on top. He's working to get on top. He worked very hard on his wrestling to get on top. The dude is saying, I'm kicking off to you. You receive. I'm going to let you go first. That's like, uh, like a team saying... Uh, we're going to kick off to you and losing three points for it. Like you, you're already giving them an advantage. You're going to lose, lose the advantage and points doesn't make any sense. You, you understand what I'm saying? I could see. Yeah. I could see if, so, so say if they don't have points, you know, if they don't score points, you know, um, with their, their idea of advantage, maybe you could say you could give someone an advantage. If a guy pulled guard, it's still a point. Is you it a win point? With that. If you give an advantage, you still won. Maybe, if it's zero zero with the the guy who has the yeah, advantage that's a wins. Stupid analogy, actually. J- really, it should be. It should, should be, be like this. It should be like this. It should either be submission only. That's it, and you have overtime rounds, and I could explain that if you want to hear. But generally, you have submission only, no points. No advantages. It's all about who gets the submission. The whole goal is to get submission because in a lot of there was epic matches. There's incredible athletes. I have respect for all of them. But w- when you're under this rule set, you there's a lot of times in these matches where the submission wasn't even a thought. Just the W. There were matches where there's like three minutes left. Guy sat on his ass. He loses a point. Now I'm on top. I want to win that money at the end because the winner of each division wins $10,000. He's the guy on top automatically is going to be very cautious, reserved, and not uh, be aggressive and right. definitely not even consider a submission. 
It's all about the W. So that changes the, the entertainment value. And for me, that's the most important thing. Do you think that it should be uh, just submission only? It's either submission only or you really, really break down the point system uh, for the way it should be. And this is the way it should be. Like um, uh, in Dean Lister's match against, I forget who he lost. There were so many matches. But he was down on points. And at the very end, he put, I think it was Joao Assis. He put him in a triangle. He had him in a sense triangle at the very end. And he was down by two points, maybe three. Uh, I'm not sure on the points, but he was down. It was 30 seconds. Put him in a triangle. In in my eyes, a triangle, you should get more, a, anything cinched, like a triangle, a figure. If your legs are cinched, like you have a guy in a triangle, doesn't mean he's going to tap. A lot of times some guys escape. But if it's totally cinched, that guy was in deep, deep trouble. If he escapes, he got lucky. So that, that cinched triangle should represent way more than a, pass or a sweep that's just common sense so in my eyes if you want to score keep the scoring system and you you're in love with you're going to commit to the scoring system really think about the, the score how you score this if a pass is three points if a sweep is two points a cinched darce which people escape half the time but if you cinch it all the way up and as a referee you should see if it's a near sub if it's a cinched stars a cinched triangle a cinched arm triangle um a straightened out arm like you straighten the guy's arm and he escaped by the skin of his teeth you straightened out his leg like a knee bar he escaped by the skin of his teeth you can see that i wouldn't count heel hook and toe hold attempts because then that would you know they're so easy to just to jump on and then it turns into just a bunch of uh, uh footsies but if you i would count in my world i would count straight knee bars straight arm bars anything cinched any right, kind right, of right, right, right. um that should be seven points yeah, I agree with you. So right. I think it should five something. It should yeah, be it should be like a football. Yeah, a, a pass. So what is it now? It's one. No, <laughs> anything cinched is not in Abu Dhabi. There's nothing. What? It, it means nothing. Wait a minute. It means nothing. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. So yeah. if a guy has a cinched in triangle, that's not a near submission. Mm -mm. That's ridiculous. Why um, do we have that? Those, those rules are terrible. Shouldn't it be? It should be worth way more than a sweep. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, when, you, you look sweeps. You know, people recover from sweeps, uh, but if someone has you that close to being tapped, like a cinched rear naked or something along those lines, that's like a goal. Yeah, you that's might, like a touchdown. You got out of it, but goddamn, that guy got to an incredibly dominant position. Exactly. That yeah. should be. And Naga is uh, into evolution, and so is Grappler's Quest. Grappler's Quest are doing selected super fights, submission only. So submission only is starting to spread. The Gracie Nationals is submission only. Gracie World is submission only. Sub League up in the Pacific Northwest is uh, uh, submission only. Midwest Submission Challenge, which are doing submission only uh, tournaments all over the Midwest. It's growing. It's growing, but if you're still committed to points, like Naga's, Naga, they did change up and tweak the point system. They are giving, I think, one point, maybe two, for a near sub, which they're on the right track. You're on the, whoever's running Naga, you're Kip Collar, you're definitely on the right track. Let's turn it up a little bit more. Let's make cinch Darces, cinch triangles, seven points. It makes sense. That's like a touchdown. A sweep is two. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we're both on the same page. So besides that, the, the tournament, Abu Dhabi ADCC is the most prestigious on the planet. If it wasn't for that tournament i i wouldn't be sitting here that's for damn sure. yeah it just seems like those rules are just uh they need to be revised yeah, that's all. yeah. now tell me about cron gracie 
That's what I was about to tell you. You yeah. read my mind. No, I'm, I'm looking at a video of him. Cron right Gracie versus Gary Tonin. Gary Tonin's a 21 year old dude who sh- he shocked everybody. That match was probably the greatest grappling match of all time. Gary Tonin and Cron really? Gracie. Cron Gracie gets his arm, straightens it out. It lo- he looks like he's going to break Spoiler it. Spoiler alert. Well,. You don't, want, you don't want me to talk about it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no, t- trust me. It doesn't even matter. Straighten his he's arm still, out. He straightened his arm out. He wouldn't tap. They kept rolling. Straighten his arm out. Everyone's going nuts. He's ro- he's ro- everywhere he rolls, the arm, Kron is right there at every angle with the arm totally straight. It looked like it's going to break. Everybody's going, oh. It ain't, he didn't just hold it and escape. Dude, they were rolling all over the place, and that arm should have broke off. Dude, he survived. He didn't tap. Gets on top. Takes Kron's back Oh, puts him in the truck, almost has Kron in a twister. Oh, my God. Kron spins out. He goes back to the back, puts an anaconda on him, a.k.a. triangle body lock on him, has Kron face down. It looks over. Hickson's sitting there going, oh, damn. And in the first match, that was Kron's second match. In his first match, Kron uh, demolished uh, Andy Wang. I love you, Andy Wang, but he went right through him like in 30 seconds. And uh, Hickson didn't even move. He's sitting there and he, he went right through Andy Wang and Hickson didn't even move. And I was like looking at Hickson. I'm like, man, that's way doper than getting all excited. Him not doing anything like he expects it. It's no big deal. You you went right through him. The best possible outcome. Hickson didn't even make a move like Yoda. And I, I, I admired that. I'm like, wow, that's that's deep right there. He's not even... Happy, not even a smile. But in this match, Hickson was like visibly shaking. You could see him going, "What?" He's watching. A... Where's this kid come out of? I think he's from the East Coast. I'm not sure, but he was on uh, that BJJ Kumite thing with uh, Keenan Cornelius, who also did amazing at Abu Dhabi. But anyways, back to Gary, dude. There's a minute left, and. Oh, at this point, a minute and a half, and Kron is doing everything to try to escape. You're, you, we're watching Kron be defeated right now. We're watching him be defeated after you almost had that dude's arm uh, like five different times. Kron's struggling. He can't get out. Gary Tonin's back defenses or, or back control is professional, assassin-like. Kron cannot get out, but by the skin of his teeth. I have to see it again. I don't know exactly how I got but he got out. They stand up. Hickson looks at him and goes, you got one minute. Kron turns around, dude, takes him down, passes his guard. It takes a while. He gets his back. Dude, he squoze with two seconds left. Gary taps. Wow. It was the craziest submission match I've ever seen. It's really fascinating watching Kron. For people who don't know, his dad is the greatest jiu-jitsu guy of all time. There's one guy that's always thought of above all others. In the world of jiu-jitsu, it's Hicks and Grace. you got to have him on this podcast. I would love to have him on. It would be easy. It but would be simple. Lives, he lives in Brazil now, doesn't he? He's here. He, I don't know. You're right. You're right. I don't know. But I'll figure it out. I'll get in touch with Kron. Dude, that would fly him in first class. Last time I saw Kron, um, it was at uh, when Hoist fought Matt Hughes in L.A. He, uh, he Damn, that out. was like 07 or 06. Yeah, he was a young kid. He was really young. That was yeah. right after I had, uh, I, I had dinner with Hickson once. And I went to his house and watched fights, and he uh, broke down what people are doing wrong. Dude, you know was... how crazy that is? You went to Hickson's house, hung out with him, yeah. watched fights, yeah. and broke down fights. I remember you telling me this. Yeah. You were telling me uh, <laughs> you, 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 he broke down, because Fedor at the at the moment was the Mr. Indestructible. Yeah. He was on top. Everyone feared him. Hickson 
wanted you, to fight him. Yeah, and he, yeah, he broke down how to beat Fedor in his mind, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, he thought he could beat Fedor. He thinks he could beat anyone. He's a monster. Yeah. He's a scary dude. Yeah. When you're, when you, well, he's a master. He's a true master of jujitsu. Yeah. And he's got he's like that samurai mindset. A lot of people talk that samurai mindset. Yeah. That fucking dude lives it. Like that yeah. is his yeah. mindset. Yeah. The Gracie family is very large, and there's a lot of sections, a lot of Gracie cliques. There's the Carlson side. There's the Carlos side. There's the Helio side. Helson side. The Helson side. Uh, uh, and a lot of them hate each other. A lot of them talk a lot of crap on each other, uh, but Hickson, man, every—I don't know how many times I've heard people say, "Fuck that great," like a Gracie saying, "Like fuck that Gracie," or, right. or a Brazilian, or someone from the old school, like the, the, yeah. all the old school guys. But they'll—they'll never—they'll always say, "Except Hickson," <laughs> they make—they tell you. Except Hickson. Like yeah. Alan goes, yeah. man. Alan goes. There's a—he has a lot of problems with people, <laughs> but he makes it clear. He goes. But Hickson's awesome. Hickson's, because yeah. they all say it. They all agree that although there's no roles on video, like now everyone has their roles on video. You could catch them on YouTube. Like you, you catch Marcelo's roles all day, the greatest jujitsu player ever. Um, but Hickson, not too many roles. But everyone says it's all like, like myth, it's all legend. But you got to believe it because everyone says the same thing. Even David Camarillo when he went down there. And David Camarillo's a world-class black belt. He said he couldn't do anything with Hickson. Yeah, even Paulo Filo said that. Paulo Filo went down there and came back and was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, it's, he's a master. Yeah. He's been doing in, it since in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu community, Hickson is a god. He's yeah. the best uh, Gracie hands down yeah so he had two sons and one of them hoxon uh died uh, a few years back and he was already on his way to being a, a badass jiu-jitsu yeah. player yeah and his uh youngest son Kron, yeah. over the last couple years has just become this fucking beast hickson's son and i remember when he was 12 outside of a jiu-jitsu tournament some ibjjf tournament in dominga state hills here in california uh, me and John Jacques, my master, John Jacques Machado, we were outside. He was, you know, uh, basically giving me a sermon like he always does, and like everything that comes out of his mouth is gospel, and everything's perfect. And he just has, he's like a superhero. And we're walking outside, and Kron's 12 at this time, and he's messing around on a skateboard, jumping up, doing these skateboard tricks. And John Jacques, look, John Jacques looks over at him and says, That's the one right there. I tell you, that is the one. He's going to really? be unstoppable. I never forget really? that. He called it out. And Jean-Jacques also, he's called out a lot of people who you thought were going to be legends. And Jean-Jacques said, he doesn't have what it takes. He's going to break. And I'm like, no way, Jean-Jacques. He's like, watch him break. He's going to break. And damn, he was right. And there was a couple that he called out that broke and they just disappeared. Jean-Jacques can see things. That's oh, a fact. Jean-Jacques, it really is Yoda. Yeah. And he, he uh, called out Kron. He knew it. And Kron... Uh, he's he is now in a select group that man i don't know if there's more than three or four but he submitted everybody in his weight division he tapped everybody out and here's another hickson story uh, well jean-jacques machado was the first to tap everyone out back in 99 or 2000 one of those abu dhabis 98 99 jean-jacques machado shows up to abu dhabi he's the first superstar Back then, everyone was having trouble with the submissions. A lot of the gi champions were having a little trouble submitting dudes without the gi. And the wrestlers, they didn't know how to pass the guard or submit anybody, but they could throw you around and you ain't taking them down. So a lot of, a lot of boring matches in the early Abu Dhabi. And that's why the Shi kept changing the rules, trying to, trying to work, work it all out. But uh, then the next god 
who came and just submitted everybody in 2003 was Marcelo Garcia. He was the, the, the second coming of Jean-Jacques. First that was Jean-Jacques, Marcelo Garcia. And now, you know, there have been other guys that have, have had a bunch of submissions in Abu Dhabi too. Haja Grace, he's done treme- a tremendous job. So many good guys out there. But as far as coming in and just submitting everybody in your division, maybe Haja did it too. I don't know. But Kron Gracie did it last weekend. He went through everybody. And that, Gar- you know, the Gary Tonin fight, that was a close one, man. He escaped by the skin of his teeth. But that showed how awesome he is and, and how he can come back. And in the final... You know, first we have Hicks in the, the first first couple matches. He's just real chill, zen. And then when he beat Gary Tone, and you see Hicks and jumping up, Kron lifts him up. Yeah, I never seen Hicks and so happy. Gary, <laughs> Gary was trying to get him from the twister without actually. He was trying to get the twister before he even got the lockdown on the back leg. He, he was like it. he was thinking about it early. He was thinking about putting like as yeah as the body triangles wrapped around him. He's thinking of grabbing yeah. his neck. Yeah, yeah. Where's this kid train out of? <sighs> Gary Tonin. Look him up. T-O-N-O-N. Dude, that transition kid, where he took Kron's back is yeah. insane. And not only, you know what Gary Tonin did? He ended up doing the absolute, and his the first round he went against Buchecha, which, who's, who won the heavyweight division, who is uh, considered the best new heavyweight. Dude moves like a panther. Buchecha is, I, I think his name is uh, Marco Almeida. Man, you know, some of these Brazilians, I know them by their nickname, but their real name is, is uh, it's hard to remember sometimes. But Bouchesha, he, he wins his head, the heavyweight division. Now he signs up for the absolute. First round, it's Gary Tonin, who's 170 pounds, against Bouchesha, who just won the heavy, heavyweight. That's the wow. worst possible draw. The smallest guy gets the biggest guy. And you know what? Bouchesha couldn't tap him. Wow. It was a good match. We just got all sorts of position on him, but Gary kept recovering and Gary kept attacking. And then, so he loses that right on points, but he, he didn't get put, put, put away. And, um, uh, the guy I was talking about earlier, Jared Dopp, the guy who beat Amir, he ended up beating Amir and we were like, fuck, man, we got an unknown. It was perfect. We should have beat this guy. It was a close match. Uh, uh Amir, had his back for a second, but didn't get points. He had him in a Kimura, didn't get points for any of that. And the guy took him down once and passed his guard. And Amir lost on points, and, and it was kind of a shocker. That was the first round. We're like, damn, we, who is, we got a guy, a guy that no one knows that we should have beat him. Damn. Then he gets Vinny Magalhaes the next round, Jared Dopp. Wow. He beats Vinny. Whoa. So then we're like thinking. Vinny oh, lost? Vinny got beat by the guy that beat uh, Amir. Wow, do you think that's because Vinny's doing so much MMA? He's not doing Vinny much was not in shape for this. Vinny, uh, he, he, he admitted it to me. He didn't train very much at all. He just couldn't turn it down. You know, I'm, I'm sure it had a lot to do with him getting cut by the UFC and not really fucked with his mind for a while. The last fight was yeah. hard. He yeah. got knocked out yeah. like, with the first punch that uh, Homeboy threw. Yeah. And he never expected that. Yeah. He, he fought an um, uh, Australian gentleman. Fuck's his name? Uh, Anthony Parosh. Anthony Parosh. Yeah. Anthony Parosh, who's uh, a black belt in jiu-jitsu, and that's what a lot of people expected. They thought it was going to be uh, a jiu-jitsu versus jiu-jitsu battle. Yeah. And he caught Vinny like with the first punch. He yeah. Threw. He gets he gets cut. He's in a depressive state. He's not really training hard for Abu Dhabi. And Jared Dopp beat him. He's wow. from L- Rafael Lovato's camp. He's a purple belt. That's incredible. Yeah. So he's just a, an incredible specimen. So he gets cyborg next. He gets cyborg next. And he is winning. 
He's beating him. All he's got to do is survive for 30 more seconds. He would have beat Amir Alam, the top 10 planet heavyweight, uh, Vinny Magalhaes, who won the gold medal in the Ab- Absolute in 2011, and then Cyborg. He was going to beat Cyborg. He would have, but at the very end, Cyborg pulled it off, and he impressed the shit out of me. Cyborg ended up winning. Uh, he ended up getting third in his weight. Bushesha won, and in the Absolute, Cyborg took it all. He beat Bushesha in the finals. It was, per- I mean, what did lo- Cyborg catch him with? He beat him on points. Oh, catch who with? No, it's just points. Cyborg. So he was losing until the last few minutes. Yeah, of Jared that. Dopp was beating him on points, and then I forget how it went down. Again, there was a fifty matches, but Cy- all I remember, Cyborg came back at the very end, and Jared Dopp couldn't hold. On. He had it; he just couldn't hold on, and Cyborg pulled it out of his ass. Got some points. I think he took his back or something. Got some 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 good points and barely pulled it off. He was he's, I mean, and then Jared Dopp did the absolute. And he beats his first guy and maybe a second guy, and then he gets hurt. He has to bow out his shoulder shirt. He was going to get a rematch with Cyborg in the absolutes. Wow. But, you know, since he couldn't go, Gary Tonin, 170-pounder, who lost against Bushesha, who gave him a a great match, they call him and go, dude, you're in. And he's like, oh, shit. So now he's going against Cyborg, who's like 240 pounds of pure leopard. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like tiger. Yeah, he's built like a brick shithouse. Oh, yeah. There's videos of him training, strength and conditioning online. Yeah. Pushing sledge and shit. And you know what? He... Gary Tonin looked great, man. He, he was giving Cyborg fits. That guy's going to be a superstar. Really? Mark my words, yes. Just remember Gary Tonin. Cyborg 100%. being that big, and he's giving, he must be, how young is this kid? 21. Wow. Strong as shit. That's amazing. Yeah. He's yeah. not even a big guy. Yeah. Like I looked at the video of him and Kron. He's a, dude. Looks dude. like a normal sized guy. He's out of control. And he plays his, his best shit is uh, part of a, the same style that I play. Gary Tonin plays a lot of prison guard. I don't know if he calls it prison guard. That's just what I named it. But it's it's like a, a head and arm from the bottom. It's basically a it's Greco-Roman full guard game. That's what I call it prison guard. There's no He's name a brown for belt. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And, oh, the way he got Kron's back, the way he got it was through prison guard. And, again, it's, it's not... Uh, something that I'm sure he names it, but it's something that I named. And it's a head and arm from the top, from the bottom, and you squeeze on it and you shuck that arm that's caught uh, in between your arms. You shuck it over your head. You got to get really good at that. And you get, you can go right to the back or you could transition to a swim move to spider web. Or if you can't shuck the arm over your head, you could transition right into rubber guard beautifully. Or you could put the far side butterfly in and get some sweep. So it's a very, very strong position. The actual position, uh, the whole style I call prison guard, but the actual position is called homie control. And homie control is the mission control of prison guard. So I play it all the time, all the time. And... Uh, watching Gary Tonin go to it over and over, did it to Cyborg. He was, the Cyborg was too big. It didn't really work on him. And then he did it on uh, Bushesha. He kept trying. I'm like, I don't know if prison guard's going to work on a guy that has 100 pounds on you or something. But uh, he kept going to it. So uh, look out for Gary Tonin. Yeah, it sounds like a kid's a beast. I love that. I love that all these new dudes are just coming up out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, that's one of the cool things about jiu-jitsu is that there's so many guys out there practicing it now. Yeah. I think someone, it's about time 
for someone to put it on TV. I think one of these days they're going to figure out a format or the guys are going to get talented enough or scary enough where you're going to be able to put it on TV and it'll it'll I, be something that could I, be on. I think about that all the time and and I've had uh invest I've have a show that I, it's it's a concept. Uh we had f- financial backers that were interested and then they back out. We had a couple other more that were interested and they back out. They're not sure, but the whole goal of mine with this show is a 16-man tournament. The whole goal is entertainment value and everything is designed to score. It's a, it's a submission-only format. There's a few different ways you can go with submission-only, but the way ev- everything in my mind was all designed to create urgency for the submission. Like, the, the, like for example, the ultimate urgency would be you do a, a submission-only match between two guys and the winner gets $1 billion, the loser gets nothing. You imagine the urgency of that and how exciting oh, that match yeah, would be? Obviously, you don't really mean a billion dollars. No, no, but, but I'm just saying, I'm just, that's, uh, that's an example. Yeah. If you could give them a billion, that'd be great. But let's say realistically, in 50 years, 100 years, two years, jiu-jitsu is mainstream. There's like some reality show about jiu-jitsu and it gets so big and people love it. But we, we, we have to figure out the right format first to, to make sure that uh, there's a, a lot of excitement. Because right now, you know, you go to jiu-jitsu tournaments, there's nobody there. The only people in the stands are the actual competitors and their girlfriends and maybe their moms. It, we've been having these world championships forever. Nobody's going to see it because the point system is developed to uh, satisfy the competitor. Well, it's a little bit yeah. of that, but it's also that just it hasn't been introduced, right? Yeah, it hasn't yeah, been introduced yeah. at all. You know, now that uh, Spike is starting to put Glory on, they yeah. like, like the highest level kickboxing. They're putting that on TV. I think one of these days someone's going to realize that. Watch like that Cron Gracie Gary yeah. Conan fight. Yeah, that kind of a, a match is very exciting. Let's say that okay, realistically, fifty years or whatever, jujitsu is mainstream. You could do a show where there's a sixteen man tournament, submission only. And the winner, one winner only, it's just like uh, any kind of reality show, one winner gets $100,000 cash or whatever. That's not that unrealistic. Can you imagine the excitement of those matches? You have a good matchmaker, you put together, you know, you don't just throw people together, but the, ex- the amount of urgency that there's going to be for the submission, the training would be totally different. People would be specifically training their setups to these submissions. It would be all about the submission. Right now, these guys getting the W and winning by points is all that's necessary. So guys are specifically training for, to for the point system, yeah. and I'm guilty of it too. I mean, I mean, if that's the if that's the format, this is how the, I understand because I do the same thing with Amir Alam. He wrestled his whole life. He's one of my brown belts, but he's a wrestler through and through. So we were gonna go in and just say, "You're a wrestler." He worked on his wrestling. Let's beat these guys by the point system. Let's get that W. I was doing that. I'm not like this. You know, you're forced to think like that based on the system because you want the W so bad. So you know, I'm guilty of it too. We were we were we wanted to wrestle Jared Dobb. So you know you uh, you make it a 16 man tournament, eight man tournament. You make it a reality show, submission only. One guy gets a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, if you did a good a, idea, you know, if you did a million, that would even be crazier. The matches would be n- nuts. Well, uh, yeah, all you'd have to do is just have guys who are really good, who are going for submissions and going after it, and you would it would be a really exciting sport, a lot more exciting than a lot of shit that is on on TV. Yeah. It's just people just don't know about. They're just not used to it. Yeah, it could be done. Someone just like someone like the Sheik. Yeah, you know, figure out how to do it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, and there's a lot of people that get, they look into jujitsu and then they watch a match and go, fuck this, this is boring. They're just, the, the way the gi sport is turning into now, it's like, I'm a black belt in the gi and I look at the new stuff. 
I don't even know who's on top. I have no idea who's winning. They're playing tug of war with the pants and they're in this mangled, tangled position that I don't even know who has the advantage. Someone got an advantage for a near sweep. I go, who did? I'm well, confused. One of the things I want to ask you about Kron, he doesn't do any new shit. Like everything he does is old school jujitsu, old school Hicks and Gracie style. The, the, you know, that, that real basic set of techniques and just it, it just gets him laser sharp. That's all he does. Yeah, he has an incredible rear naked choke and even more insane guillotine. In the final, he went against Oto- Otavio Souza. He's one of the, the top Gracie Baja guy at that weight at the 170. And, oh, getting to this match, right? So it's the finals. Hicks and Gracie sitting there. Kron and Otavio. They're going at it. Otavio decides to get inside Kron's head. And the way he's going to do that is keep staying away from him, not engage, slap him on the neck, push him away, frustrate him. Because all Kron wants is submission. Right. He's like Marcelo Garcia. He just goes forward. Right. The submission is on Kron's mind. Right. You know, for damn sure. That's what he wants. And uh, he kept going forward. Oteva keeps pushing him away. Oteva's a bad motherfucker. He get pushed. He beat Leo Vieira. I mean, he's, he's legit. One of the best. And he actually, they went against each other in Metamoris. And... Kron beat him in the gi. He armbarred him. It was a, it was an epic match. And the match before that at the Worlds, Octavio won. So Metamorphs was a rematch. He got revenge. Now the rubber match in Abu Dhabi in the final. He's smacking his head, and Kron's looking over at the ref, going, "You know, what's he doing? Just smacking my neck." And he keeps walking backwards. I understood what Octavio was doing. He was trying to frustrate him, get inside his head, and it was working. He was getting pissed off, but you know what? It was also working on Hickson too. Hickson said, hey, uh, and this is according, I didn't hear it personally, but this is according to what I heard, the reports, the reporters, it's all over the internet. So I may be wrong, but it, it appears to be correct based on uh, the reports I read that Hickson was, at first, he was like telling the ref, he keeps, he keeps going backwards, he's not engaging, he keeps going backwards, he's, he doesn't even want to fight. And then he said, he's chicken, he's chicken. And then he starts making chicken noises. He's like, Baka! Can you imagine Hickson doing that? Isn't that crazy? You know what that tells you, man? You know, there's some people out there that don't understand that, but as a father, I I I understand it. It's it it I I do. It's like you're, that's your son. You're going to make sure. Like if my son murdered somebody, I'm going to shelter him. I'm going to hide him. You know what I'm Maybe saying? Maybe you shouldn't talk about that on <laughs> no, a podcast. What I'm, no, no what, I'm saying is, no, what I'm saying is you do anything for your kids. I know what you're saying. Even, even doing, making chicken noises that, that could easily uh, make you seem like you're childish. Easily. Right. But he don't care. All he cares well, about is very him. macho. He was willing to do anything it took to make Octavio engage, and it worked. He engaged, took a shot, Kron guillotined him, the fastest guillotine ever. Soon as he took him down, Kron sat down, boom. It was over, man, I don't know if it's online, but it was over like in three seconds or less, less than three seconds. Boom, he won the world championship, submitted everybody. That's amazing. It's just amazing when you, you hear about a guy who's the son of the great master, like the greatest master ever. It's almost like a movie, you know? Yeah. And when he was young, you know, like I remember hanging out with him over uh, at Hickson's house, you know, he was just like a young kid. He was talking about rap music and shit. And, you know, <laughs> and of course, he trained jujitsu. He loved jujitsu. He loved the fact that his dad was this 
you know, I mean, can you imagine if that's your dad? He's just yeah. the greatest jujitsu guy of all yeah. time. It's got to be the coolest yeah. shit ever. Yeah. And he's <laughs> right. He's currently the baddest guy in Abu Dhabi for it's damn amazing. Sure. And, and he's young too. And you know what? No, no homo or anything, but. Beautiful that that guy's a he's a beautiful man, Handsome absolutely, man. man. Well, his wife was beautiful. Hickson's wife was beautiful. Hickson's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, Hickson <laughs> married some supermodel back in the day, and they had a bunch of kids. And all their kids, even Hoxson and their daughters, they all have perfect little model faces in their tan. Yeah. He he could easily be a movie star. They're they're models as kids, like Aber, Abercrombie and Fitch models. So well, when he was in that ch- that documentary, choke, if. That documentary, it's really unfortunate that that didn't become a huge documentary because even people who don't uh, appreciate martial arts just want to watch something interesting. Like People keep telling me about the sushi documentary, Janjiro Dreams of Sushi or whatever the fuck it's called. It's supposed to be amazing about a guy who's like really into sushi. But I'm not into sushi. I'm not, into, I'm not dying to be a sushi chef. I hate it. But if you, even if you have no aspirations towards martial arts... Choke is an amazing documentary because it follows this guy who's just he's just the he's legit he's legit masterful in everything he does I mean the dude is a he's meditating in the fucking freezing icy rivers of Japan he gets underwater up to his neck and he's you know he's he's doing his meditation practicing and doing yoga where he does this weird shit with his stomach and he's it's cool when a guy like that exists when there really is a bad motherfucker, like a real, like mystical sort of a shaman Brazilian jujitsu master who's yeah. better than everybody else. And that reminds me of the most surreal moment of my jujitsu career. Man, was at Abu Dhabi at the first weigh-in. Hickson comes up to me and says, "Hey, Hetty, how you doing?" He shook my <laughs> hand. I my head almost exploded. <laughs> I couldn't believe him saying Eddie. Yeah. It was very strange, dude. It was that strange. That he knew who you were. Yeah. Now, because, you know, Cron and Jean-Jacques are real tight. Jean-Jacques is now a coral belt under Hicks and Gracie. So Hicks and Gracie is Jean-Jacques' master now. And uh, he used to be Gracie Bahan under Cardinos and all them. But now he's he's under Hickson. And Jean-Jacques always been tight with Cron. That's how he had that insight. That's how he knew he was going to be a champion, the champion that he is. So Jean-Jacques brought Cron over to my gym maybe two weeks ago, and that was the first time I ever got to hang out with Cron and train with him, and it was, it was pretty amazing to have Hickson's son there. And anytime I, I have a Gracie there with me that I could talk to him, I always, I always want to remind them that there's a big misconception about what 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu is all about. And to someone who really doesn't know and hasn't done the research, it's easy to it, it's easy to kind of see that oh, uh, or easy to believe that uh, I s- turned my back on jujitsu once I got my black belt. I threw the gi away. I'm disrespectful to the gi. I don't. Nobody like uh, understands this if they, they don't follow yeah. jujitsu. But there's two camps of jujitsu. There's people who train with a gi, this you know big bulky kimono thing, and there's no gi which is mostly guys wear rash guards or shorts, and they're training basically techniques that would work in mixed martial arts. Because of the fact that the gi is this big piece of cloth, people grab it and hold on to it, and it it really changes the entire nature of of grappling. It changes everything because you have, all, you have all these handles that you can hold on to. It becomes really annoying. Yeah, and 
a majority of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu community, they really like the gi, and I understand that. It's like liking long boards and you're a surfer, and some people like short boards. No gi would be like the short board, and long board would be like the gi. It's really traditional. It looks cool. You grow up, and you see these karate movies, and you want to wear that gi, and you strap that black belt on, and you got a gi. You feel like a superhero, because that <laughs> black belt is real. I get it. I understand. But um, I got into jiu-jitsu because of the UFC. I became a fanatic of the UFC and jiu-jitsu is the closest thing I could do to be kind of close to the sport and understand the sport without getting uh, hit in the face. I, I don't like boxing. I don't like kickboxing. I don't want to get hit, but jiu-jitsu is awesome. It's safe. You know, all you're doing is practicing strangling each other and getting really good at that and practicing breaking limbs. Like who doesn't want to learn that? Anybody can learn that and you, and you don't get hurt. No one's punching you. I, I was sold right when I saw the UFC. It was a, a way for me to be, to be close to the UFC, the sport that I worship now. Um, so when I see uh, jiu-jitsu black belts in the UFC, great with the gi, but all of a sudden they're fighting in the UFC without a gi, and now they don't have their handles, and dudes are trying to punch them, and there's elbows and all that stuff. To me, I thought the gi was the problem. Jiu-jitsu wasn't looking that good in the UFC, man, in those dark ages. Like UFC 17 to, ooh, like the, uh, even today, overall, the jiu-jitsu, I think, could be a lot better if, they, if everyone focused on jiu-jitsu techniques that worked when, specifically when dudes are trying to punch you or elbow you and, you know, and there's no handles. It's different. So anyways, so I was, I loved jiu-jitsu so much that I, I was tired of being in, uh, uh, let down by never seeing, you rarely see sweeps in the UFC. You go to a jiu-jitsu class or a jiu-jitsu tournament where they're wearing a gi, you see sweeps and submissions for, off your back from the guard when you're on your back all the time. But why weren't you seeing it in the UFC? I go, you rarely see sweeps. And even today when you see a good quality sweep, it's, woo, it's a highlight reel. That was an amazing sweep. But in the gi, they happen all the time and submissions off the back happen all the time. So the difference is, it's just common sense. In the gi, you don't have to worry about dudes elbowing you. And you got all these handles and you develop all these techniques based on pulling the collar and holding on the sleeve. And that becomes your fighting stance. Right. And when if that's your fighting stance and all of a sudden you do MMA and there's no fight, the fighting stance is totally different. You're clinching now because you don't want to get knocked out. It, it, you got to focus on that. So for me, I thought, man, if I ever opened up a school, I'm gonna. I'm, I never liked the gi to begin with. Pers personally, I'd rather train no gi. It's faster. I like it faster. I have no problems with the gi. A lot of my students still train in the gi. Personally, it's just too slow for me. I need it to be faster. So when I have, uh, um, so a lot of people in the jujitsu community think that I turn my back on jujitsu. Man, nothing could be further from the truth. I don't think I, anybody really thinks that. No, no. There's just a I, bunch of haters out there. There's people that hate no matter what yeah, you do, man. Yeah, but There's no need to focus on them. No, I just I just wanted to make it clear. And when, when right. Kron came to my school two weeks ago, I made it clear to him. I'm like, I just want to let you know that I have all the respect in the world for the Gracies. Anybody that thinks I don't is ridiculous. I mean, in my first book that came out in 2005, it opens up with a, a paragraph or two on each Gracie and thanking them for, for creating me and creating the sport and the UFC. So, and that's over, that's like 10 years ago. It's not anything that I'm trying to, I'm trying to do damage control okay. now or anything. So I just wanted to put that out there that, that, uh, um, you don't have to put that out there, yeah. man. Nobody believes that. Hey, um, what did you think about the UFC this weekend? Incredible. Was that the craziest UFC ever? Yeah, it was going on right when Abu Dhabi was going on. It was yeah. going on at uh, uh, Saturday or Sunday morning. Was it Sunday morning? 
and it was Saturday morning here or something like that. It was like, an, it was weird. So I didn't get to see it live, and I don't think it was possible to see it live. We ended up seeing it the next day. Uh, Amir and and Scott Palmer, another one of my students who went, they figured out how to find it somewhere online. <laughs> oh, so you watched it online? Yeah, yeah. The Diego Sanchez Gilbert Melendez fight was the craziest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it was madness, especially yeah. that third round. God damn, that was incredible. Yeah. They just went off. They just went after it in a way like you very rarely see. And for Diego to drop Gilbert Melendez with that uppercut, yeah. after all that damage he was taking, yeah. man, there, we saw some serious heart that night. I mean, Junior Dos Santos, that, talk about heart. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, D- Diego Sanchez is a, a special dude. He's, his belief in himself and his, his ability to absorb punishment yeah, it's incredible. He just bites down his mouthpiece, and he doesn't do a lot of slipping and moving. You know, he's taking a lot of them yeah. and just charging forward. He loves it. <laughs> he's so crazy. He had a giant cut over his eye, man. It was bigger than his eyebrow. Yeah, it was like the size of his eyebrow. It was yeah. enormous. Yeah, there was a there was a whole wild fucking event. Did you see Hector Lombard and Nate Marquardt? Yes. Holy yes. shit! At one seventy, Hector At- Lombard's gonna give. He'll give anybody fits. I could see him. He could be the champ. Yeah, easily. Easily. Yeah. Yeah, he's terrifying. At 170, he's a freak athlete, man. Would GSP be able to take him down? I don't know, man. I don't know. He's a freak athlete. Well, now, I use that term a lot, freak athlete, but Hector Lombard really is a freak. And at 170, that may be the strongest 170 that's ever existed ever. He hit so fucking hard. Dude, yeah. he chased down Nate Marquardt, who was a Strike Force former champion. Okay, Nate Marquardt was the Strike Force welterweight champion. And Hector Lombard chased him around like he was some kid that he was going to assault. I mean, it was, it was amazing. I mean, he w- like almost like he had no worry whatsoever about Nate Marquardt's techniques. Just ran after him. Ran after him, kept throwing bombs at him, and that and then last shot took him out. That last shot, did you see what it did to Nate's body? Yeah, it made him kind of like hop and land on his butt, like his yeah. his legs slipped out from under him when he because yeah. he was like kind of running away, and he got him one of those uppercuts from behind. Yeah, yeah, and then boom, it lifted him up, and he landed right on his butt. It was pretty crazy. It was horrific. Yeah, he fucked him up, man. It was it was spooky. I didn't know that he was going to be able to do that. I mean, I knew that he, Jake, Jake Ellenberger and Nate Marquardt had a, a, a real tough fight, and Nate got knocked out, but they were going after each other, you know? I mean, Nate was going after him, too. It was a real, it was, he got caught with a big shot by Ellenberger, and Ellenberger could take anybody out, but it was competitive up until that. This was not competitive. This was a mugging. I mean, he just came after Nate Marquardt. Nate Marquardt tried to counter him a couple of times with right hands, but mostly he was just trying to get the fuck out of the way. And that dude just came at him like a, like a monster. It was weird. It was, it was, he's ridiculously strong. Yeah. That's a scary dude at 170 pounds. I want immediately to see matches with him against like Carlos Condit, yeah. immediately to see him, he, him against guys like Johnny Hendricks or George C.A.P. or whoever wins the title. According to... Eric Paulson, I had him on my podcast. He's telling me some Hector Lombard stories. Man, the guy is intense 24-7. The guy in the gym wants to throw down. Him and Josh Barnett throw threw down at least once. Yeah, Josh told me about it. Did he? (laughs) Josh mounted him and would never let him up. He was just beating on him. He wouldn't let him up. Apparently, he had an issue with something Lombard did to someone else in the gym. 
So Josh and him just went after it. Josh said the guy's a freak athlete. He said he does those muscle ups, you know, those things where you do a chin up and then you you push up from the top. Yeah, they're what really a, hard to do. Yeah, this motherfucker just he'd never done it before. He banged out like ten in a row. I don't think I'll ever be able to do one. <laughs> <laughs> he's a freak athlete. Like when you look at his body, he's five foot seven and five foot seven wide. You know, I mean, yeah. he's so big. I mean, he's probably probably about five nine. He's probably a little taller than me. You think? I don't know. My height or five, know. maybe my either my height or maybe slightly taller. I'm five eight, but he's twice as wide as me. I mean, yeah. he might he might. I'm pretty wide. He might be like literally a foot wider than me. Yeah, he. I think it's an illusion. He's actually he might be five ten, but he's his lats so are so wide, wide and his shoulders that it appears that he's five four. <laughs> he's so wide. I've never seen a dude his height that wide before, and the power that motherfucker has. God damn, it's scary. Scary and just ultimate confidence in his ability to knock guys out. Ultimate confidence. Like as he charged in on Nate, it was just he knew it was a matter of time. It was weird. It was weird to watch. I never thought I'd watch Nate get steamrolled like that. You know, you think about Nate. Nate fought Anderson Silva and it was a decent fight until Anderson uh, reversed him on the ground and beat him up and stopped him. But it was a decent fight before that. Nate fought Tyron Woodley and knocked him out. I mean, Nate is a bad motherfucker. He's a really good fighter. You know, think of all the guys he's knocked out. He knocked out Martin, Martin Campman. You know, Nate Marquardt's no fucking joke. He's been around a long-ass time, too. He's really fucking good. Lombard's got that Hendrix power. Just yeah. boom. But he's got it in both hands. Yeah. He's just terrifying. Terrifying. Lombard's terrifying. He might be the motherfucker at 170, man. He really might be. Yes, he might be. So these guys, man, sometimes it's just a matter of making that weight. Getting Finding down to the it. weight class. Yeah. yeah. Look at Damian Maya at 170. Yeah. You know? But then Jake Shields beat him, which is crazy. It could have went either way. Yeah, it was a yeah. it was a I think one of those fights that easily could be a draw. You could decide who wins, but yeah. Maya didn't tap him. You know, a lot of people were saying that Maya was gonna dominate him the way he dominated Rick Story. Yeah. yeah. No. People forget how good a grappler Jake Shields is. Yeah. He never really got close to any submissions. And the the and Jake he's probably top three, if not the best passer in MMA. Yeah. His passing is incredible. Him and Sean Shirk, incredible passing. And Jake almost passed so many times. God. And to have that kind of confidence to try to pass Maya's guard, most wrestlers will just say, okay, in this fight you get on top, don't even try to pass. But Jake kept trying to pass. And even though even though he, he didn't quite make it, it was very impressive that he had the confidence to keep pushing and keep trying to pass. And Damon Meyer really couldn't do anything off his back against Jake. Jake's used to having guys attack him, you know, serious guys off their back. So, man, that was a very, very close fight. I thought they would give it to Maya based, because it was in Brazil. I thought Jake's really going to have to beat him decisively to get it in Brazil. But uh, that wasn't the case after all. So congratulations to Jake. Yeah, that was a big win for him because Maya was on the verge of a title shot. After the Rick Story fight, after beating John Fitch, he John Fitch, John Fitch, and then uh, beat Rick Story like that, a lot of people were like, Jesus Christ, this guy might be the best grappler in the division. No one can stop him. So Jake wins that fight, derails his title hopes. That this is just so many good fighters now, man. It's crazy. Robbie Lawler is about to fight Rory McDonald. How fucking crazy is that fight gonna be? Yeah, yeah. Robbie Lawler at one seventy. There's another one at one seventy. It's fucking terrifying. He's absolutely terrifying at one seventy. 
<laughs> Did you see um, uh, Amagov and uh, T.J. Wahlberger? Yeah. Robbie yeah. Lawler knocked out Amagov with a flying knee. That's how scary Robbie Lawler is. Yeah. I'll never forget Dana White at the Comedy Store years ago telling you about Robbie Lawler for the first time. He was like, I got this kid, Robbie Lawler, man. This guy can <laughs> knock you out with both hands. I remember hearing that, and then he brought him up. He did well in the beginning, and then he started fighting for Strike Force. He was fighting uh, at 85. He shouldn't yeah. have been fighting at 85. Yeah. He should have been fighting at 170 the whole time. But he also needed to mature, come into his own. You know, he's like 30 now. And now he's like a real legit professional. You know, he, he, he fights smart. He doesn't just wing punches at guys, but he does still wing punches at guys. He's got a serious fucking chin, and he goes after guys. When is that fight? That's November. That's the George St. Pierre undercard. Damn. Good googly moogly. <laughs> Dude, Roy McDonald and, 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 I mean, think about that camp, that TriStar camp. Roy McDonald, GSP. You got so many good guys out of that camp, that Francis Carmon guy. But Robbie Lawler's a motherfucker. I don't know who's going to win that fight. Uh, Rory's like super technical, doesn't take too many chances, works on that long jab, you know. But Robbie Lawler will go after a motherfucker. Yeah. He's spooky. Yeah. What'd you think of Roy Nelson Cormier? Cormier's a fucking sick athlete, man. He's a sick Is athlete. Is he for sure going to 205? Yeah, he's going. He wants yeah, that, to fight John Jones. Yeah, that's what yeah, he wants to be. He was saying it. He was saying, I'm going to 205. Yeah, he'll be at 205. He was 224 for this fight. You know, he'll he'll go down to 205, and he's going to be a handful for everybody. Yeah. He's that elite Olympic gold medalist caliber athlete. Those motherfuckers are rare dudes. You know, those dudes, they break their hand and keep punching you with it until it falls apart. Yeah. He was still throwing punches at Josh Barnett with a broken hand. You know, he's taking Josh Barnett up in the air with a broken hand, slamming him on the ground with... You know, his fucking bones are rattling against themselves inside of his hand. To do that to Josh Barnett, man. Exactly. Jesus, That's what I he's got to be out of this world. And he's not even a legit heavyweight. He wrestled at 206. I think he wrestled at 206. It was definitely light because he had to cut weight to do it, and that's why he lost his bid at the Olympics, because he had kidney failure. Because he tried to make the weight. He tried to cut the weight, like cut a lot of weight, and he, he fucked himself up. A lot of guys have that, man. You know, um, Jose Aldo has kidney stones now. He had a kidney stone removed after his fight with the Korean zombie. That's from cutting weight. Yeah, one of my students had kidney stones, and, and since, since he went to the hospital and went through all the excruciating pain and me hearing the stories, he said, bro, drink cranberry juice, pure cranberry juice. Don't drink that cocktail every day. You do not want to go through what I just went through. I swear to God, I have pure cranberry juice in my refrigerator. I make sure my wife... It keeps it stocked, and I drink it every day. Just hearing his story of excruciating pain in the hospital. Ugh. Does this guy? Who is it? Which guy? Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't want to say his name. Okay. Um, does he cut weight? He, yes, he cuts massive weight. That's shredded. Man. Yeah. Yeah. He shredded. It's these dudes that cut weight to 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 do matches. Yeah. Fuck, man, that shit's bad for you. <sighs> Cutting weight is not good. But if you want to be a great fighter, yeah, just drink pure cranberry, cranberry juice, not the cocktail, and you should be fine every probably day. Probably tastes like shit. It tastes sour, but it's like a shot. 
I drink it every day. Where do you get it? Do you make it? Whole Foods. You can get it at uh, anywhere, any supermarket. They and also it's have a... cranberry pills that uh, does the same thing. Does it do the same thing? Just yeah. take a shot, a shot of cranberry How could juice. it do the same thing, though? It never does. You know, like you take those, like, um, uh, pills, green pills. They're never as good as, as like, real yeah, wheat grass the juice. juice. It's kind of sour, but you get used to it. It's actually not bad. Yeah. yeah. You just And you can't drink that much of it, so it's perfect. It's like a way to quench your thirst, and you're not going to down, like, half the bottle. If it was a grape drink or something, shit, you'd kill half the bottle. But since it's so tart, you're forced to only take a sip. And so that, what does that do? What, what's in it that protects your dick? It's got to be the acid in it because it's kind of sour. It's got to be, has something to do with that and making sure that those uh, stones are always broken down. It's, it probably just melts them or something. I don't know. I stayed this girl who used to get um, urinary tract infections. And, and she used they, to have to drink uh, cranberry juice to get yeah, rid of it. Yeah. How weird is that? Cranberry juice is legit. It's weird that there's foods, though, that cure things. You know, like you have any stomach ailments, anything bothering your stomach, take garlic. It's incredible. Like if you yeah. if you um, eat some bad food and get some sort of stomach, like food poisoning, shit like yeah. that, eat some cloves of garlic. Yeah. It's like sending in rabid Italian troops that go down in there and just fuck up all the bacteria. It's incredible. Yeah. And people who don't like raw garlic, you don't know what you're missing. Just eat cloves of that shit. It's fantastic for you. Yeah. It's like... An assault on all the shitty things inside your body. How about that Tony Ferguson Mars? Damn. <laughs> Why is he called a Mars? Well, uh, you know, because you 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 got to name uh, every move and every position and every transition, in my opinion, to in order to teach at the highest level. So there's a difference between getting a Dars when you're on top and you're using your weight. Right. He wasn't on top. He cinched it in and went to his back. And Mark Lehman, he's a very well known MMA jujitsu coach. Uh, he used to do that. He's the one who actually called it the Dars when it was named after the first guy he saw use it, Joe Dars. And I think his name is DRC. Yeah. And he, that's that's who Mark Lehman is, is very similar to me as we like to name everything that doesn't have names and lots of jiu-jitsu moves didn't. So uh, you got to name... The, there's a difference between the Mars because the Mars is on your back, and that's how he used to do it. He he said that was his thing that he did. His squeeze was so tight that he didn't need to be on top, and he liked rolling guys, and they didn't expect it, and so he called it the Mars. There's all, also a, a farce, which I don't know if a guy named Freddie made it up. I don't know the story behind farce, but that's when you're kind of mounting the guy, and you have you are mounting the guy, and you have a Dars. So there's there's a different variations of it, and the one that Tony trains at 10th Pentecostal of Mesa all week and every Thursday he comes up and trains with me and that's the move you gotta watch when you're rolling with Tony he does flying darces man he's he's I mean his his jujitsu is very underrated man he's gonna shock a lot of people over the over the, his career well that darce that he hit that dude with he immediately scooted under him and then almost like a, an inverted crucifix yeah. he ties his arm up with his legs from the bottom you as gotta he does have it. confidence in your squeeze to do that yeah. man yeah and so that's that tells you a lot You're like wow you don't ever see anybody going to the mars you see people going to the dars and if the guy on the bottom rolls you should be able to roll with them even if it turns into a mars still finish it but you don't go there voluntarily unless you have you're super confident with that move having those long arms is such a massive advantage yeah. it really is yeah. as far as like that leverage you can get with long limbs yeah it's really incredible 
Guys who have like wicked darses and have long arms, they can just like shove them under plate. Like Kendall yep. Grove, yep. Kendall Grove used to catch them in all sorts of weird spots because he could just he had the, like an extra foot on his arms. Yep, Jeff Glover as well. Yep. He's one of the best at darses. Yeah. yeah, Jeff Glover lets you pass him. I love that move where he lets you get into side control and you think you're going into side control, but really you're just going into darse land. Yeah, he just catches it in the transition. Yeah, it's jujitsu for people who don't know. It's so fucking technical. There's so many techniques. I mean, it's it's truly amazing when you stop and consider the positions, the amount of different possibilities each position holds, and then different ways to submit people and how they all flow together. If you've never done it before, it's hard to kind of understand it. And I know that's one of the things that I I, I take a lot of time on when it comes to uh, a ground battle in the UFC. I always make sure I try to explain what a guy's trying to do, where it becomes a problem, where he's you know where he's going to, and people get a chance to see it more that way. But unless you train yourself, you'll never really truly understand the the beauty of it. If you train yourself, you'll get a sense of what it's like to struggle to actually catch a guy in a position. Then you'll understand how amazing it is when you see like really, really high-level stuff. When you see a mad scramble like Kron Gracie and uh, Gary Tonin and Gary taking Kron's back in that wild scramble. Yeah. You know, they kept rolling, kept rolling, kept rolling, then bam, locks up the body triangle. Like, fuck. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a... It's an art that anybody can do. Children, old ladies, they all do it. It's really, really easy. It's, I'm not trying to sell it to, to – obviously, I want to make money, but it's the truth. The truth yeah. is anybody can learn it. All you have to do is just show up to your local jiu-jitsu school and just watch. Just go and just watch for a couple times. It's free. You don't have to commit to it. Just tell the guy you want to watch, and you watch, and you realize, oh, my God, I had it all wrong. You know, you, you expect that you're going to show up, and there's going to be all these – fucking douchebags killing each other and bleeding on each other <laughs> and you realize it's a bunch of nerds it's a bunch of computer nerds and and after you watch after you watch one class you should be sold on it and you don't have to roll and do you know people are scared of rolling and oh what if he taps me out and hurts me it's so rare that anybody gets hurt really it's so rare you usually get hurt more from positions than you do from submissions yeah you get hurt more when your leg gets tripped onto you but yeah. you know as you get better at it that becomes less and less and as you if you're in a good school like 10th planet or like there's so many good schools in la and we get spoiled but most places have to be good in order to stay open in this day and age because there's so much competition there's amazing amounts of competition yeah from jiu-jitsu our beginning classes are we kind of changed uh, them up a little over the years i realized that uh, most people are a lot more scared of going to a jiu-jitsu class and checking it out and taking one class than I thought. Mm. They're way yeah. more scared than I thought. So I understand that. I used to I used to think that, you know, if you should know that it's a safe sport and you should know if you want to do it or not, and if you're not totally into it, I don't want to talk you into it. You should just know. And then that leaves me with a, a small percentage of the population, which I consider, oh, you got, you're my family. But in reality... If uh, I change my beginner classes and make them more, cater more to the guys that want to do it, but they're just scared to death. They're scared to death of signing a contract. They're scared to death of getting hurt. They're coming into jujitsu scared. So you got to really think about uh, just walking them through it nice and slowly, showing them that there's nothing to be scared of. This is a beautiful thing that everyone can learn. You can learn to get really good at putting people to sleep in six months. You know, another thing is um, don't be afraid to tap. That's another thing that I, I, I make sure I really tell people. It's nothing wrong with tapping. 
It's not that bad. Just go in there and tap. It's, it's, you got to think about it like someone's scoring a point on you in basketball. It's going to happen. It's totally normal. Yeah. And once you get past that, especially if you're training with good people, you tap them, they tap you, doesn't matter. It's good for you. Yeah. And if you can't tap a guy but he can tap you, guess what? That's good for you too. It's good for you to know that someone can tap you. You need to up your game and up your skill level to get to the point where he's at. But just because he taps you, it's no big deal. It doesn't matter. People tap people all the time. That's you one know? of the biggest reasons people... Uh, are afraid to come in. They're yeah. afraid to lose this game of death because really that's why jujitsu is so fascinating and such a beautiful thing because really it applies to life in, in on the streets, saving your family, protecting your, your children, protecting your wife, your wife protecting your children and, and back and forth, your children knowing jujitsu and protecting their father and son. You know, a whole family where, where everyone does jujitsu, that, that's, you know, that in, increases your chance, chances of survival in like some apocalyptic era or whatever. Well, either way, it's, it's a great way to exercise. It's a yeah. great discipline. Yeah. It's, it's great for your body. It's great for your mind. Like after we leave jujitsu class, tell me, when are we more like loose, relaxed, and silly than after jujitsu meals? Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. dude, we've had In the some parking lot, hilarious <laughs> after jujitsu conversations where everybody's exhausted. You've been fighting for your life for the past hour and a half, yeah. and we're all just hanging out, chilling, and tried to kill each other just an hour yeah. before. It's like a virtual reality yeah, video game, exactly. Yeah. And you get used to that; it becomes a normal thing. For folks where it's not a normal thing, it seems daunting, it seems terrifying, it seems uninviting. But believe me, I know a lot of like you said, nerds. And it's a yeah. lot of a lot of nice people in jujitsu too. People who have a good control of their ego. We've yeah. t we've talked about that on this podcast yeah. many times, but I think it it needs repeating. It's Absolutely, like, I can't tell you how many tweets, emails, messages. How many I get? I listen to you guys talk about jujitsu on the podcast over and over, and then I finally yep. went to a school and I tried it. And guess what? You were right. This is amazing. This is changing my life. My son's doing it now too. It's totally and that is. Uh, the most likely uh, outcome, if you give it a shot and you have an open mind and leave your ego at the door, is it's going to change your life for the it's better. It's going to give you, without a doubt, it's going to be one of the best vehicles for developing your confidence that you can ever find. It will change your confidence. Yeah. And that's women, including women. You know, like think about uh, women that you know that have gone to your schools, gone to different jujitsu classes and gotten better at it. And then they become like more relaxed person they become yeah. a different person yeah. they're not worried about their self-defense around men anymore they know that the reality is a girl is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu like do you remember when we had felicia do that thing with seymour butts yes <laughs> explain that seymour exactly. butts is a nice guy he's a porn star and a porn producer and he had a show on showtime on showtime i don't remember what the name of it was do you remember the show maybe it was just seymour butts I don't remember what it was. But anyway, real nice guy. In one of the episodes, he wanted to come down and do jujitsu uh, with a woman. No, no, no. He just wanted to come down and do jujitsu. Oh, it really? Was, it was not with a woman. He didn't the, want to do it with Felicia? Did you no, set that up on purpose? I set that up on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> he Felicia, had no idea. <laughs> Felicia O, who's a friend of ours, she's a black belt under Jean-Jacques Machado and a legit bona fide badass. She's like 135 pounds. She's not a big woman, but she is strong as fuck and her jiu-jitsu is top notch. And she's really smart. She's super, super, super smart. So she just gets good at anything. She just knows how to get good at shit. And <laughs> her and Seymour Butts rolled. It was like his first day. And she manhandled this poor lad. 
He didn't she, get hurt. He just no, tapped. He lost was, the game. Yeah, over and over. She was so nice. Which she, never, which never feels amazing when you tap out. It doesn't feel refreshing. No, it's but like, oh, and that's Jesus. why it's so beautiful because it didn't feel good. You just lost a game of death. No one got hurt, but that tap represented the fact that he had your life in his hands. And the only reason he let go is because he's a cool guy and everyone's cool in class. But in reality, if if he, if he was a douchebag and he wanted to kill you, he could have. Yeah, they yeah. take your life. If yeah. someone wanted to choke you out and then stomp your head out while you're unconscious, that's what happens. But yeah. the point is, Felicia, being this small woman, uh, just, just using her technique, just tapped him over and over and over again. Got yeah. him in a triangle, got his back, got him in an arm bar. And the way she did it was so fluid and beautiful. And you watch the episode, it, it doesn't... I don't think it goes down like that. They edited it to make him look good because we shot a segment where I'm teaching and then I'm teaching him and we're doing the teaching segment. And then I asked him, do you want to roll too? Cause he didn't even know what like rolling. I go, do right. we kind of spar? And he said, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll shoot that and we'll do that. And I go, well, you have, we'll spar with the woman, you know, and make it. And he's like, uh, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that was your idea. That's so funny. It was so long ago. I forgot. Yeah. Generally, if you're a girl out there and you do jujitsu for solid for one year, solid, you the chances of you getting raped go down significantly. It's oh, very yeah. hard to rape a jujitsu girl, and it doesn't take that long to get good at. Like when, I said, within two years, time flies. You could be doing it three years just like that, and you're a badass. The last time I rolled with uh, Felicia, I think I was a purple belt. I might have been a brown belt. It was either purple or brown belt. And it's not like I was like trying to kill her, but I didn't tap her. I didn't tap her. She was 135 pounds. Yeah. You know, and she's just fucking good, man. Really strong. She's fucking, yeah. she's really strong and she's fucking good. Yeah. And when someone's really good, they know how to put themselves in the perfect position. They know how to keep moving. They know how to keep getting away from anything that you're trying to do to them and putting themselves in a better position to defend, a better position to attack. That being many steps ahead of the person you're doing it with because they don't know what you're doing gives someone a massive amount of confidence. And I've seen girls go into jujitsu class, start getting good, and then start tapping out guys. And when they start tapping out guys, it's a wild thing to watch. It's a wild thing to see the guy's face. It's a wild thing to see a girl like cinch up. first girl I ever saw tap a dude out was this girl Duncan used to roll with. <laughs> they, were, they were both beginners. And... Uh, do you remember we got Duncan and Ari gave him a free year for like Christmas? Do you remember that? Uh, yes, yeah. I do very well. <laughs> Ari, Ari stuck it out. Yeah. Ari got some taps in on some dudes. Yeah. He kept going. But Duncan <laughs> ran into this girl who was very pretty and very girly, but she tapped him with the quickness. Like how many times did she tap him? She tapped him like several. Yeah. It was ugly. Yeah. But that was, it was fascinating to watch, like this girl realizing like she could, if she knew the techniques better, she could get a guy. A guy's probably stronger than her. She can still get him. That uh, scarred Duncan. He never, <laughs> he, he didn't laugh. I think he, he showed up to maybe oof, a handful of classes at most. He, Ari stuck it out for a while. Yeah. But with Ari, he got hurt. He, he, something happened to his knee. I think he, he had staff, surgery. staff and then he had a, well, he had a meniscus surgery and then he got yeah, staff. Yeah. And that was too much. You couldn't take it. Some people, uh, there's a small percentage of people that 
get hurt doing jujitsu and that scares them and they never want to come back. But generally, most of the people who do jujitsu love it so much that the first thing they think of when they get hurt, they're pissed off because they're going to be out for six weeks or they're going to be out for three months. They're going to, that's why they're pissed. They can't wait to get back and you can't wait to get back so much that you're like, you a lot of times you come back too early and you're not really healed right and then you re-injure yourself. So that's, that generally, you love, if you, come in with an open mind and you leave your ego at the door, generally you're going to fall in love with it. It's going to change your life. And when you get hurt, you're more bummed about missing jujitsu than you are about the actual injury. You know, but there are some people that they might, they get ringworm once and they're like, fuck this. You get ringworm. Except ringworm. You know, it's very easy to eliminate ringworm. You don't ever have to deal with it if you can be consistent with the yogurt and the acidophilus. And defense soap. Yeah. yeah. Get some defense soap. Absolutely. Tell everybody. Yeah. Defense soap is the best. And it's a great company owned by a great guy. Yeah. And the, the, the company, they, they support wrestlers and they develop soap that cleans your skin without fucking up all the natural bacteria. Yeah. All the, all I, the healthy floor. I was resistant to defense soap for a while. I never really looked into it in the very beginning. I thought it was a soap, soap that had all these antibiotics uh, these, or something. Yeah, antibiotics and chemicals that I, I didn't want to have nothing to do with it. It just sounded like that. But when I finally looked into it and found out that it was just eucalyptus, eucalyptus oil and tea tree, tea tree oil. oil. Yeah. At, in high amounts, it's yep. like way like three times the amount that you find. In, 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 I bring in, that so, everywhere. Yeah, I, don't, I bring oh, it on the road with me. I don't. I don't go to a hotel room unless I have that. Shit I have. I use deep defense soap every day. Yeah. Every day. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Once I found out it was all natural, yeah. and I was sold. Now that I don't need shampoo anymore, I use it on the top of my head too. I use it everywhere. I use it as shampoo. Damn, you crazy! Yeah. <laughs> crazy, any <laughs> You crazy, any It uh, keeps dandruff away because dandruff is a form of. Uh, fungus similar to uh, ringworm. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Well, healthy skin flora is something that people don't even think about, but, you know, I mean, that's what killed a lot of motherfuckers back in the day when yeah. people got scratched and, you know, they got some, some sort of infection and, you know, they, 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 people used to die of infections all the time. That's like one of the biggest deaths, uh, the biggest scary things about going to a hospital today is infections, yeah. you know? And you can do a little bit to prevent that stuff by a healthy diet, eating a lot of probiotics. Even sa- if you're a vegan, say if you only eat vegetables, you can still get probiotics in the form of sauerkraut. Sauerkraut, like natural raw sauerkraut, super good for you. Vegans, Kombucha, super vegans good can for have you. Uh, acidophilus pills? Well, see, they shouldn't even really have kombucha because kombucha is a fungus, and a fungus is actually closer to uh, an, a person than, an an, than a plant is. Funguses are actually closer to human beings than plants are. Funguses are actually much more like an animal than they are like a plant. So if you're a true vegan and you're eating kombucha, you're kind of a hypocrite. If you eat mushrooms, you're kind of a hypocrite, too. Jello. <laughs> but, the, I mean, that's probably, they actually probably want you to eat them. And that's the whole idea behind psilocybin, is that psilocybin wants you to eat it. That's why it's big and white and g- gigantic. It's, it, it shows up, like, it shows itself very easily on, a, on, like, cow patties and shit like that. Like, it's literally, like, inviting you to come and eat it. Because that's how the it communicates The red tops with, with the you. white. Yeah, I mean, come on. How beautiful. The red that? ones, right? Yeah, how beautiful. That's Amanita muscaria. But psilocybin, the ones that grow on cow shit, they have, you know, the big giant ones in the Amazon. They grow the size of dinner plates. What's the difference? They both get you uh, to that other dimension? <sighs> Amanita muscaria is a very controversial mushroom. And for folks who never heard of the Amanita muscaria that's mushroom. the red one that you The see. red one with the white spots. It's literally Santa Claus. Okay. 
and I'll break it down real quick for people who have never heard this before. Go to my web, look look up Joe Google Joe Rogan. Uh, Santa Claus was a mushroom. I wrote a whole article about it in like two thousand two thousand six or something like that. I'm talking about the difference my in what. It well, does I'm about for to explain. You. I'm about yeah. to explain to people. Okay. The Amanita muscaria mushroom is native to Siberia to Europe. It's a different mushroom. The mushroom, the psilocybin mushroom that you see in tropical climates, and you also we see in a lot of places now. The Pacific Northwest has a lot of them. Um, it's that that's a different experience and that's a much more accessible experience and it's a much more reliable experience. The Amanita muscaria oftentimes isn't even psychoactive. Like they don't know what makes it psychoactive and what doesn't. There's all sorts of speculation that it could be uh, genetically variable. It could be seasonally variable. It could uh, be, you know, there's strains of it that grew in certain areas and they were super potent, but they don't exist anymore or you have to find. I've never had a good Amanita muscaria trip. I only had one um, to speak of. That was uh, that really blew it out. But we took um, we took psilocybin too. We took the amanita for like an hour, and it wasn't doing shit. Is that us? No, no, no. It was me and and uh, Stanhope. Me, Stanhope, and um, Jan Irvin. How many grams? Um, he made this weird soup. He made like a tea with the uh, the amanita muscaria. Like he knows how to do all that shit. He's Jan is pretty well versed in how to prepare these things. There was an amount an amount a specific amount that Terrence McKenna five, talked about 5 grams. Yeah, 5. Well, that's this that's psilocybin. This is the amanita okay. muscaria like I was saying. Okay. So we took that and then uh, an hour or so in we decided to jump it with psilocybin. And then when we jumped it with psilocybin, wow. The the two of them together, it was pretty fucking intense and it was the day of the war. So it was really, really, really weird. And we had this Mata de Coco tea. It's, uh, it's cocaine tea. It's tea that's uh, derived from coca leaves, like natural coca leaves. This is more shit that Jan has. Is had. it legal? I don't no. believe so. <laughs> I would say nay. <laughs> but uh, it should be because the, the actual leaves themselves in these indigenous uh, high-altitude herding populations, they just chew them. They chew them all day, and it's like tobacco to them or like anything else that people normally have. It's like, you know, like chewing gum or something like that. And it provides like a – it's a clean stimulant. It's when you break it down and turn it into cocaine that it becomes like a real fucking pain in the ass. Yeah. It becomes addictive and, you know, people yeah. get weirded out on it. But yeah. they say it's actually better for you than coffee yeah. if you just chew the leaves. I, I just found out within the last year I saw a documentary on where uh, ecstasy comes from. It, the, the, the ingredient MDMA – Right, yeah. it comes from these trees in Thailand yes. and Cambodia. Yeah, so they're they're like chopping down all these trees to get like the inner core of it, and that's what makes ecstasy. How crazy yeah. is that? I well, thought I thought it was a, like a pure lab created thing. I did too. I think there was a Vice documentary on it. Another fucking Vice one. Those Vice guys are on top of everything. Maybe but, that's uh, the one I saw. Probably. Yes. yes. But it was fascinating. It's crazy. It, it was, all comes from Cambodia and Thailand. And there's a lot of violence associated with where yeah. these trees are now because people are killing people to try to get to these trees. Crazy. Yeah. I wonder what uh, how that would be like taking it naturally like right from the tree. I know, right? Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could. Crazy. <laughs> Trip yeah. to Thailand. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go find the place. trees. That's a movie. A group of guys that go oh, find yeah. the tree That's with the like three place. hot chicks. That all the chicks die, of course, within the first forty-five minutes. Or one <laughs> survives. Only one at the end. Ecstasy is a funny one, man. That's a really funny one. It's a really interesting one because it's uh, it, it's thought of as like a party drug, and it certainly is. But you can learn a lot on ecstasy, man. I've only done it once, but I learned a lot. I had a very beneficial trip. I, I paid the price, 
with my 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 mental health for the the couple days afterwards, I was wrecked. Yeah, like my brain was not working well. The come down is terrible for me. It was for some people. Apparently, it's not. Or if you take five HTP, supposedly, if you uh, you down five HTP, new mood. That's yep. five, that's five HTP as well. Was new mood new, has uh, new mood seems like it was specifically created was, for the partier. Well, it it used to be uh, roll on, roll on, and roll off. Remember? Do you remember? Then, Are you joking around? Or are you serious? You don't remember that. You don't remember? I don't remember Roll On. When Aubrey oh, created yeah. it, the, the the original thing was Aubrey likes to party. And he created it to, to for the come down off of ecstasy. Because 5-HTP. And that's what New Mood became, right? Sort of. It became it was enhanced and now New Mood has uh, a bunch of different shit in it. Like L-Tryptophan, which converts to 5-HTP. So it has like a time release it's effect. It's better. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's better in that there's more than one mechanism for converting 5-HTP to serotonin. L-Tryptophan converts to 5-HTP, which converts to serotonin. It gives you the building blocks to replenish your serotonin surprise after you do something like that. But also gives you... The, the extra serotonin throughout your day, which, which picks your mood up. So much so, man, that they say for people who are taking SSRIs or antidepressants, they tell them not to take 5-HTP. Because Neil Brennan, you know Neil Brennan, the dude yeah. we met from the Dave Chappelle we Spell show? He uh, was on 5-HTP, but he was also taking an antidepressant. The doctor told him to lay off the 5-HTP because it would give him too much serotonin. Huh. Yeah. So that's for real. Oh, it's definitely for real. Yeah. Have you tried any of that shit? Well, I will say this. Uh, Depeche Mode was just in town last month, and after the Depeche Mode concert, I did take some new mood. Took about four of them. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I see what you're saying without saying it. <laughs> what are you talking about? You I know what you should have done? New mood. You should have <laughs> taken Alpha Brain before the Depeche Mode yeah. concert, and you would have been smart enough to not go. You can. Oh, 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 no, I oh. didn't. Oh, no, Damn. I didn't. Chappelle. Hey. Sold out the uh, Staples Center three nights in a row. Come on. And oh, they they haven't just, had a hit single listen, in 10 years. I'm joking, That's obviously. like Pink Floyd status. Oh, uh, old friend of ours, uh, I, I think you were friends with him. I was friends with him. He used to work at the comedy store. I uh, was uh, murdered last night. Uh, I don't know if you remember Katie. What? He, he used to work there uh, at the comedy store, and he recently moved to guy. Los Las Vegas, and what happened is this gunman came into a nightclub, uh, I believe it's at the Palms, and uh, shot two uh, two guys, and then he was just a supposedly a guy that was at this club, and he tried to tackle the guy because he, the guy was pointing his gun to, like, innocent people. So he was, like, doing a hero thing, and then he got shot. And, uh, do you remember? I don't know if you remember I Katie. I remember yeah, that, He's one of the he nicest guys. Guy, yeah. Oh, that's hard. He was dating Katie? No, no, his name was Katie. His name's Katie. Oh. KD. KD. Oh, remember Katie? Yeah, 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 yeah we talked yeah. about Katie yesterday on the podcast, how hilarious she was. Yeah. It makes sense. But KD was one of actually my uh, one of my first friends oh, in uh, Los Angeles when I first moved dude. here. That's terrible. Yeah. Fuck, man. There was another school shooting the other day, too. Did you hear about that shit? Yeah. Real quick, yesterday? before we get to the school shooting, back to the mushroom thing. Yeah. I'm reading. Oh, uh, yeah, we didn't even describe the difference. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading a baby book, and this is, this is back to mushrooms. And I will, I've never read so many goddamn books in my life over the last six months. My kid, that's his favorite shit, is to have, he goes, grabs a book. We have a thousand books. He grabs his favorite one. He sits on my yeah. lap, and I read it. He loves that. And at the, he knows what the last page is, and he'll flip it over. Start it over, son. Right. Start it over. And there's this one book about Nicholas the Bunny, and he's talking about how in the fall, I like to watch the leaves. And in the winter, I find shelter from the rain under a toadstool. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's a mushroom. I never heard mushrooms uh, called toadstools before. Yeah. Why is gross. it? And then on the other side, there's a mushroom with a toad actually sitting on top of the mushroom. Right. 
Yeah, they've been called toadstools forever. But they also, if you look up any old school Christmas shit, yeah, all old school Christmas cards, anything with elves, they all have mushrooms around yeah. them, and but, they have that mushroom, the Amanita muscaria mushroom. Don't isn't there a, isn't there a myth that if you lick a frog's ass, you get high? No, it's not a myth at all. It's real? Some frogs. Okay. Some frogs, it's different, though. Yeah. What they have is 5-MeO DMT in them. But what I'm saying is, I open up this baby book, there's a little bunny, Nicholas the bunny, hiding under a toadstool, and then they show a, a mushroom and a frog on top of it, sitting down on it, so maybe that's why... Uh, if, when you lick a frog's ass, you get high because they actually sit on mushrooms. No, no, no. no Maybe no, they're using no, the mushroom no, no. to. It's actually a no, you that don't extract. Listen, you don't lick a frog's ass. You oh, don't lick a frog to get high. The way you, this this doesn't work. Okay, that's excretion. Myth. Yeah, this is what it is. There's an excretion from certain types of frog skin, okay. and you have to rub it on glass. So you take this frog and you rub them on glass, and they'll excrete their substance on the grass. Then you take that glass, you put it in the sun, it dries out. Then you take a razor blade and you scrape it off the glass, and it's a white powder. You smoke that white powder, and it's five methoxy dimethyltryptamine. Now, is that secretion coming from their rectum? It's coming from their skin. Okay. It's that whole thing of licking a frog is just one of those urban myths. Okay. So it just, it's just weird that in a baby book, you'll, you hear about the myth of licking yeah. frog's ass and they're sitting on, maybe, because you know, you, 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 some people put ecstasy pills in their ass for better absorption. <laughs> you heard of that, Brian, yeah. right? Yeah. So maybe the frog is trying to get high and maybe they figure out how to get high by sitting on a mushroom. It goes up their ass and they get high <laughs> and then you lick a frog's ass and you get so, high. That's all yeah, I'm okay. saying. This it's was in this, a baby book. This dude. is the name of the frog. It's called the Bufo Aureus. And you can't get fucked up, Joe, by licking it. If I remember correctly, it's super concentrated and super dangerous, though, to do it. To get to lick it? To lick it because it's really If you remember... If Why I, don't you well, Google I, that? I bought the, I bought the. Uh, yeah, but you got to Google shit like that. I if bought you don't the know. frog to do this. The book's called "I Am a Bunny." You bought a Bufo Alvarius. Yeah. Col- it's called the Colorado River Toad or Sonoran Desert Toad. It contains five meo DMT and bufotenin. 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 B u f o t e n i n. There's a website that sell sold these frogs, and so I bought one, and I had it for like a month, and I was like, "No, I'm not doing." Was it, it alive? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So you never licked it? No, I, 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 I don't even know whatever myth, I did. With it. I think it's a myth. If you had it, why didn't you lick it? I, mean, I don't know. I was too scared. Can you can you Google uh, licking a frog's ass? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing area. that right now. I just the did. To- the toad's I'm venom is concentrated on the surface of its skin, and that's why licking is dangerous. Smoking is a different story, however. Yeah. Um, so it's too powerful if you lick it. Too powerful. If you wow. Because it, it's concentrated. Hmm. The toxic ingredient in the toad's venom is called bufotenine, which is burned off while smoking. That's why it's dangerous. Uh, because the two things are in it. If you burn it off, what's left is 5-MeO-DMT. So you don't want to lick it because if you lick it, it gives you bufotenine. Bufotenine gets burned off while you smoke it. That's why it's dangerous to poison. lick it. Yeah. So I guess it really Does it say anything about the butthole? So listen to this. This is what's weird. It's uh, this, this frog. They're native to the Colorado River or uh, southern Arizona, uh, California, and northern New Mexico. Even though 5-MeO-DMT is uh, classified as an unscheduled substance, which means it's legal to possess, but the venom also contains bufotenine, which is scheduled. So you all, you, you do, you can be in possession of a, an illegal substance, even though it's not a psychedelic. The weird thing about 5-MeO is it's stronger than NNDMT. NNDMT is the, the one that gives you the crazy visuals. 
But the stuff that we did the first time, that's 5-MeO. It's even stronger than NN, and it's legal. The one where I was screaming? Yeah. They, <laughs> they missed that one. In the, the sweeping psychedelic drug act of 1970, they missed 5-MeO DMT. This is what I had bought, a Colorado River toad. Yeah, that's the motherfucker. Yep. Good thing you didn't lick it, dummy. No. Because you wouldn't have Googled it. You were just, oh, let's just <laughs> we didn't try. Have, I didn't have Google back then, I don't think. I think this is, it was right before I moved here to uh, Los Angeles. Well, anybody listening, please don't lick the toad because you can die. And don't, don't lick poisonous uh, dart frogs. Yeah, but if you take that stuff and you smoke it, it's DMT. You will trip your fucking balls off if you smoke the shit that comes from that toad's skin, which is really kind of crazy. The difference between that and, and psilocybin is very similar. Psilocybin also is N-N-dimethyltryptamine. It's got that and something else. So psilocybin is like 4-Fox-4-Loxley N-N-dimethyltryptamine. So the, the, the last part of it is dimethyltryptamine. Then 5-MeO-dimethyltryptamine, which is what these frogs have, is dimethyltryptamine with like an oxygen molecule attached to it. So it has a different impact. But all that shit that's like prevalent in children's books and folklore, like all yeah. those... Elves, when you see, look at the that, that guy's guy. name is Toad, and he has a mushroom head. Yeah, and he has the head <laughs> yeah. of the mushroom dude, that's Santa dude, Claus. Dude, I'm telling you, I, I think that's the people that are m- making books for kids. Oh, absolutely, you gotta kind of ha- have had a mushroom trip to really want to help kids, you know. And it's kind of like, like oh, that's crazy. I don't know, man. There's a lot of mushrooms. A lot I of watch, people want to help kids; they don't have to trip on mushrooms. I don't know, but. I'm, I swear to God, I watch a lot of educational TV for children, mm-hmm. and they bring up mushrooms a lot. What is this? It's a mushroom, yeah. and it's a red mushroom. And it's like, why? There's so many other things you could have brought up. You're talking about mushrooms. You're trying to teach. It, mushrooms come up a lot in children's books yeah. and in their TV. I don't know what it means. Super but, Mario Brothers. Well, look at, but yeah, well, think about Lewis Carroll and think about Alice in Wonderland. It was all about acid. Yeah. Right Doing now, there's acid. billboards everywhere all over LA. There's a new show called Wonderland or something, and there's a guy and a girl. They're looking at each other's eyes. In the background, all these mushrooms, redhead, red topped, like those. Uh, Amanita mascara. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those mushrooms are what they believe to be Santa Claus because it even looks like Santa Claus. Yeah. Those mushrooms also, this is where it gets really crazy if you haven't heard the whole spiel before. They, are, they're, they're, they have a symbiotic relationship with carnivorous trees, like pine trees. They grow under pine trees. They have a mycorrhizal relationship with the soil. Like the, with those trees, that's where those things always grow. They feed off of each other. So this fucking thing is always underneath these trees, just like brightly colored gifts that are always underneath Christmas trees. Yeah. Why are Christmas trees always pine trees? Why do Christmas trees have these ornaments hanging in them? You know well, because they used to take these mushrooms, right <laughs> they used to pull them out of the bottom of these trees and then hang them in the tree to dry them out. The other way they dried them out was they would hang them in front of fireplaces. That's why socks are white and red. Christmas socks are white and red. Who the fuck has white and red socks? Yeah. Nobody. You, wh- why would you hang your socks in front of the, the, the fireplace like that? Because that's how they dried out mushrooms. They used to tie them to strings and dangle in front of the fire, and that's how they dried them out. That's how they preserved them. It's oh, so like man. everything about it has to do with shamans, and everything about it has a connection to this mushroom. And that mushroom was like synonymous. The, the Amanita muscaria mushroom was synonymous with reindeers because reindeer love those fucking things. Reindeer are caribou. Caribou live in Siberia. That's where they, they live up there. And these motherfuckers, when you're in a, like a shaman's hut and they're all like eating Amanita muscaria mushrooms and having these tribal uh, ceremonies, they would go outside to piss and the, the caribou would literally knock them over to get to their piss because their piss had Amanita muscaria smell to it. Damn, Hamilton Morrison did it on Vice. 
Of course he did. And he's done everything. Did mushrooms? <laughs> yeah, this is like, on the show. Uh, you puke a lot. Uh, this is the Amanita. Yeah, there's part one, two, and three on. He's done the, on frog the frogs too. Well, there's another type of frog. If he shows a scar, there's a different thing. There's another type of frog where you take the venom of the frog and you um, you cut yourself and you uh, take this toad's venom and you put it like directly into your skin. And somehow or another, by doing that, by doing it, I think they burn themselves like they burn themselves like with ash, like a, an ember, and then they put the frog like so it opens up the pores, and they put the f- frog's venom right into them, and they have this transcendent, transcendent, transcendent experience. Is that Hamilton Morris? Yeah. He's My stomach a, is in excruciating pain. He's such a freak. <laughs> I love this guy. Is that a frog? Yeah. yeah, yeah. See, they burn you, and then they stick this shit in on you. And you trip your balls off. If you go meet with the spirit world. But, you know, there's people throughout history have come up with a bunch of different methods to transcend normal reality, normal consciousness. And in different parts of the world, when they were stuck in some area that didn't have mushrooms, they figured out what Datura does. They figured out what, you know, what, is this, what does this cactus do if you light it on fire? Yeah. You know, what is this bush? What's in this bush? People have been finding that stuff forever. Yeah, These scholars I, in Jerusalem think that that was what Moses was seeing when he went to the burning bush. He saw the burning bush that was God. He gave him the Ten Commandments. They believe that was DMT because the bushes that they, they have, like the acacia bush, very rich in DMT. It's all over that area. Bush burning, DMT, light DMT on fire, get high. It's yeah. like it's so obvious. The crazy experience I had with mushrooms was back in 2008. I did five grams, specifically five grams, weighed it, put it in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and went to the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a, a bad choice. Yeah, you bad decision. Got fucked up. It was a bad decision. <laughs> I thought, hey, we'd be with uh, animals and it'd be all about love. We get there. I went with the chick, and oh, while we were checking out, the gorillas is when it hit, and all we wanted to do is just sit in the shade, not look at the animals, close our eyes, and the visuals you get are just amazing. When people say, oh, that's in your head, you made that up. I'm like, there's no way. If I made that up, it would be fragmented and all fucked up. There's no way. As soon as I close my eyes, there's a show waiting for me, and it's, there's, in my opinion... There's no way I'm I'm doing this. There's, if it was if I was running the show, it would not look like that. I don't have the ability, but well, that's uh, the actual what they believe is that what you're doing is you're you're hijacking your visual cortex, and so that these chemicals impact your visual cortex and create this incredible display because your body does not know how to process what's coming in. That's the idea behind it. But yeah. it doesn't it doesn't. What I've always said is it doesn't matter because yeah. whether you're creating it, whether it's real or not real, it's still the same experience. Yeah. Whether it's real or not real, whether I mean, what is real when it bre- breaks down to it, you're actually seeing that. Yeah. So whether or not that's your imagination that's creating it, that's how people like to dismiss things. Oh, it's just in your imagination. No, it's not, and it doesn't matter even if it is because it's still the same thing. It's still this insane, crazy thing that you're looking at. Yeah. So yeah. even if it is your imagination. It's still the wildest fucking thing you're ever going to see in your life. So hard to explain. The the only way I could explain it is like, it's like those visualizers on your iTunes times a thousand. Yeah. It's perfect. It's not broken up. To me, in my opinion, something else is creating it. I don't know what it is, but there's something is creating that because there's no way I can create this amazing art and it's perfect and perfectly symmetric and it's like snakes of just crazy so 
after like five minutes of just sitting there at the zoo, we thought we had like a fear and loathing in Las Vegas moment where we just had to get out. And I just, we ran to the parking lot and it's in the, at the LA zoo and we're looking at the mountains. I'm like, are you looking at the mountains? Look at the mountains. And I instantly understood what all the Aztec art was all about. I'm like, that's what they're seeing. I go, you look at the mountains. The mountains were dancing. Yeah. And the guy who, who gave it to me goes, dude, the clouds are going to dance for you. I thought that was a metaphor. I didn't know he actually meant that. And anytime you focus on something for one second, you look at the clouds, they start dancing for you all perfectly. It's like, well, this what? it's It's a weird feeling because it feels like something's there all the time. You just can't see it. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Whenever I've been on mushrooms, like, when I was talking about the um, the one where Doug and I took the Amanita muscaria and then the psilocybin, yeah. the feeling I got, and it didn't last very long because it was, there was so many things going through our, our head, and it was the day of the Iraq war, the day the war started, so it was a pretty freaky moment. But I saw this honeycomb pattern in front of me, like where everything, I saw like the pattern of the universe, and it like occurred to me, like, oh, this is here all the time, I just don't see it. Mm-hmm. And that's what it feels like when you see those things dancing. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it was incredible. It was so hard. It, that was the craziest drive home. It was exact when I first time I saw Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I thought, man, this is so unrealistic. It doesn't. You don't see shit like that when you get high. I've been high plenty of times. You don't. But I I understood it because the drive home. I didn't know it was. I should have been dead. There's no way I should have made it home. I didn't know if there was cars next to me that were right here. The it it felt like I was driving through a jungle. It was crazy. Remember you you called me, said, dude, the road turned into flower petals. Yes, yes. Like I was being guided by, I was in a jungle and there was flowers and and green moss and I'm driving through it and I could see the cars like in the distance, but just in my little cube, my little circle, I was in in the forest. Yeah, I can believe you drove through that. That's when I, just, I like, should wait. have been dead. I, I, I don't uh, recommend that. If you're gonna experiment with psychedelics, stay home. Yeah, stay home. Stay where you're at. Because what the, the show, the, fun, the, the great part of it is being in a dark room and closing your eyes and checking out the light show in your head. That's the. It's not like you pass out or anything. Like if you smoke yeah. DMT, you pass out, and it's kind of like you're in a dream state. But. With mushrooms, you're completely conscious. You're talking, but as soon as you close your eyes, it isn't like it takes uh, 10, 15, 20 seconds to dissolve into the show. The, the instant you close your eyes, it's right there waiting for you. It's like right in front of your eyes, and it's deep. It's like five-dimensional, and it's perfect. There's nothing breaking off. It's just, it, to me, there was some intelligence behind it. Well, it certainly feels like there's some intelligence behind it. But the thing that's always struck me as weird is it always feels like it's there all the time. Yeah. Like, whenever I do DMT, one of the weirdest things that happens is this feeling like, oh, I've been here before. Even before I ever did it. The first time I ever did it, I was like, I've been here before. I know this place. Like, I know this place, you know? It's I don't know why. I felt that with mushrooms also. Yeah. All those, it seems like all those hallucinogens, like it's like, I've done this before. Well, one of the reasons, mo- most likely, is that mushrooms and DMT, all these, all these things like mimic human neurochemistry. So the, the real wonder is, what's happening to you while you're sleeping? What's happening to you for that six to eight hours, whatever it is, where you're out cold? They don't really know, but they do know that the human mind mimics the reactions to, to, to uh, dimethyltryptamine. Not only does it produce dimethyltryptamine, but it produces similar reactions, like dreams. When you're done with a dream, it's hard to remember it. You know, yeah. you know how that is? Yeah. 
You know, it's weird, man. It's like the dream is so amazing. I, I've said to myself, too, like, oh, I don't even have to write this down because I'm going to remember it because I'm a lazy bitch. I don't want to get up and write something down. I'm like, I'm not going to forget this. And then I wake up in the morning like, what the fuck was it? Yeah. I don't remember it at you all. I forget. Yeah. DMT is the same way. You do DMT and the dream just, whatever it was, whatever the experience was, disappears. Like in the morning, you can't remember it. Or when it's over, rather. You can't remember it. Well, how about when you're dreaming? You don't remember reality. Exactly. Right? It's true. You have you don't remember it so much that your uncle could be David Cassidy and you'd be like fine with it. You yeah, know what I mean, right. you're like you're totally cool with it. You're not going. Wait a minute, how the fuck is he my uncle? You're like, hey, he's my uncle. The Partridge Family. Yeah. Wait a minute. I actually had a dream like that. Did you really, David <laughs> yeah. Cassidy? Yeah, like random people would show up in my dream, and and you accept it. You don't you don't remember you remember uh, this dimension as much as you remember your dream state when you're in this dimension. So it's like, man, what what is it really? And when you when you think about like that we're all empty space you know that quantum theory where you know at the subatomic levels we're 99.9999 percent empty like this this is empty your your this your body's empty like, how is that possible it's solid how is it possible that this is empty when you look at it at the subatomic level how is that possible it's so hard to wrap your brain around it well right? we we had that admit goswami guy yeah yeah i heard podcast. that great great podcast yeah but did you understand a word he was saying some of it <laughs> some, some of it, of it. <laughs> but, I, I faked it through some yeah, of it i wonder if it has like the reason this is solid i wonder you know, because electromagnetic energy is running through everything, right? So that's, it seems like it must be powering everything. Like, where do we get our electricity? Like, we're plugged into the universe somehow. And according to science, uh, we're just flooded with electromagnetic energy and it's just running through everything. So it seems like that's how we might be plugged in and that's what's giving us the power because it's not our muscles that are are doing anything. It's, it, it's the electric pulses that are doing it. That's where yeah. you're getting your strength from. And that's what's running your heart. You know, your heart isn't just beating. There, It's connected to this this ocean of electromagnetic energy that we're in. So if we're a electromagnetic energy, magnets might have something to do with it. So I'm thinking, you know, when you, you try to put a magnet together, there's like nothing there, but it's solid. Like maybe our, the subatomic particles that were created, it's maybe it's solid because it's really just a magnet in, a, in its own little unique form. Like it's really not there. It's not, but the way it's... The, the photons or whatever, I'm just making shit up, Photon. are put together, the way they're put together, it's a, a certain form of magnet. Like, this is this kind of magnet. It's the skin magnet, but it's really not there. Just like when you try to put two magnets. What the fuck are you talking about? Well, magnets? we're all empty space. I'm trying... Why, why, I don't get the magnet thing. Well, when you try to put two magnets together, you can't. Because right. it's like you don't see anything there, but you just can't. It's just something solid. Well, you can if you flip it. But you know what I'm yeah. saying? That there's yeah. nothing there, yet it's solid. Like, they're saying something's right. there. But so maybe maybe since we're all uh, running through electromagnetic energy, now this is just my crazy stone theory, maybe it has some... Because people are baffled. They're, the top scientists don't even know mm -hmm. what the fuck... Like, how is this empty space? How is this empty space when it's solid to us? Maybe it has something to do with, uh, uh, like, particles being magnetized. Well, who knows? But yeah. the, you know, the, the point these are is, just theories. The, the point okay. is, this, this is not in a book anywhere. The reality, <laughs> the reality of quantum mechanics. This is what we absolutely know: is that particles can be in a state of superposition, which means they're moving and they're still at the same time. 
Yeah. They blink in and out of existence. They we have no millions idea where of times going. per second. Whatever. Yeah, and particles from you know here could they could be on the other side of the planet and they react instantaneously yeah. faster than the speed of light. Yeah. They split to each other. They've done experiments where they'll split a, a photon. Yeah, and whatever they and they separate it by fourteen miles or whatever. Uh, one experiment was fourteen miles there in different labs and whatever they did to this half of the photon, the other half reacted in the exact same way. So with that's no baffling. lag. Yeah, with no lag at yeah. all. They don't yeah. understand. Yeah. It. yeah, so it's, it's so just that alone is like that's science fiction. Yeah, we, they, those are all the they clues. Can blink in and out of existence. Yeah, like shit. How does it work? I think there's something way more to this world than we're ever going to be able to wrap our heads around with what what our our crude minds and bodies can perceive of the reality yeah. that we exist in. Yeah. I think we have this idea that the reality that we exist in, the measurable reality we exist in, is all there is. Yeah. But I think there's probably a whole soup of possibilities that we're swimming yeah. in. We don't know we're shit. Just, we're, not, we're not interacting with we it. Don't we don't have the, the, yeah. But we also know it exists. Like, that's karma. You know, that's love. That's like the, the when that's momentum. And you start having good things go your way. Good things tend to stay going your way. And it all sorts of feed into other yeah. good things. Yeah. There seems to be like a way the universe would like you to to react and behave. Yeah. And it rewards you with like a positive experience. Yeah. It rewards you with love. And if you pay attention to people that are living like a fucking disaster of a life, the universe is not rewarding them. At every yeah. turn, it's fucking yeah. them up. Their car is breaking down. They're getting yeah. arrested. Their girl hits them in the head with a fucking frying pan when they're sleeping. It's like a constant stream of shit keeps coming their way until eventually they either die or get locked up. And it's like the universe is setting that up as well. Yeah. It's like it's Life rewarding is... or not rewarding the correct behavior yeah. or the incorrect behavior. Life is so perfect <clears throat> and so beautiful and so ex just incredible i mean as humans we have the intelligence to make satellites and rockets and airplanes but we can't even make a flea we can't make a flea we have no idea how that shit works yeah make you a know? flea that can fuck yeah, and try make to, another flea try to too. make how can we can't make a tree <clears throat> we, yeah. we can't make a tree Not I mean, yet. we think we got to figure it out we think there is no higher intelligence out there some kind of something <clears throat> yeah come on it might even just be law you know, it might just be a law of the universe or, um, you know, instead of a law, like an equation, like, you know, positive and love and this and that. It moves towards this direction. Negative and horrible and evil moves towards that direction. And it's almost like the two need each other to do battle back and forth and to empower to empower the other. Absolutely. You know, Esther Hicks says, you know, it makes sense. Like you were here who knows if this is true? This is just something that someone said that it's, it seems pretty uh, uh, awesome to me that it seems that we're here, we're existing, uh, we're supposed to feel the pain because if we don't feel the pain, we're not going to appreciate the good stuff and it's not going to feel as good. Like she uses an example of your best meal is always eaten when you're your hungriest. And that totally makes sense. Like yeah. if you're never hungry, you won't really give a fuck about food. Mm -hmm. you know, if you're born a billionaire, you don't care about money. You don't care about what it can buy, and uh, you, so it's almost like we need we, we need the pain. We're, it's almost like we're here for the pain. Well, there's certainly re like reward systems built in, and it seems like if you look at like all the animals on this planet, at least there's a struggle that's going on constantly. Nobody lives easy. Everybody's struggling. You're struggling to find food. You're struggling to keep off predators. You're struggling to keep your your young alive. 
And it, it seems like it's set up that way. It seems like it could be way easier if uh, there was, like, total harmony in the animal world. Well, isn't, like, life and success, like, what they're looking for? Wouldn't they all just be fucking and eating plants? Wouldn't that be, like, the best way to go about it? But no, it's, it seems like the struggle's built into to the whole code of life. Yeah. And there's a battle to try to figure out how to do it right. Well, we want the struggle in a lot of things. In movies, we don't want to go to a movie where nothing, there's no conflict or nothing yeah. bad happens. That would be the worst movie ever. <laughs> it would the, suck. The, the greatest movies are the ones that take you down to the depths and you buy it. You, are, you've, you suspend uh, your disbelief and you're down there and then you come up with it and the story's believable and you lose yourself in the movie. But without the conflict the movie sucks do you worry about that with your kid like uh in a certain way i do with my kids it's like i don't want my kids to experience a lot of adversity just you want to protect your children yeah, yeah but i know that all the people that i know that experience adversity are the most interesting people you know all the people that we know think about all the people that we know look things like joey diaz he's one of the most interesting guys ever because his life was completely crazy like his life was full total chaos like the adversity you had to go through, the adversity I had to go through, the adversity Callan had to go through. Like all the people that we know that are interesting, they all had kind of a fucked up life. Yeah. What's that about? Mm. <laughs> Do you think that you could g get away with just exposing your kid to uh, difficult things like jujitsu, Like uh, exposing them to martial arts and maybe they could develop their character that way without having to go through the, the horrible ups and downs of... I don't know if jujitsu uh, uh, promotes or guarantees a great sense of humor and the ability to make other people laugh, but the one thing in my experience that I know that jujitsu does for children, absolutely, and it it's, it's, has a lot to do with you, what you always talk about. When a kid uh, it doesn't have martial arts, and jujitsu specifically, because of the tapping and uh, getting tapped out, what that shows you, that automatically in jiu-jitsu, you know where you stand. You yeah. know where you stand. You know that you're a blue belt. You're probably not going to beat purple belts that much. <laughs> but when you do, you'll get your purple belt. And you're probably not going to beat brown belts and black belts that much in the beginning. But when you start doing it, then you get your brown belt and so on and your black belt. So uh, when a kid comes into jiu-jitsu and he's four years old, five years old, he knows that he's not going to rarely going to beat the seven year olds. And when he's seven, he's rarely going to beat the 10 year olds. So that teaches uh, if they don't go through that, there is a possibility. Not always. There's plenty of great kids that have never done jujitsu. But what I've seen with jujitsu kids, it almost guarantees that they won't be delusional and become a douchebag kid. Because if you don't, if you're not checked that way with the tap, like reminding you that this guy's 15 years old. You better respect that 15-year-old. And then the, what ends up happening is when you become 15, you you know what it, it was like going through uh, the early stages of jiu-jitsu. So you, I see kids that are 10 and 11 are great with the 5-year-olds and great with the 6-year-olds. It takes you out of that delusionary state and lets you know that you better respect your elders. And as you get older, you better respect the kids too because they're going to get older too. So what jiu-jitsu really does is people put it, – it instills discipline in you like uh, most people think martial arts does, like karate and taekwondo, and that definitely works too because it does promote discipline, but jujitsu does it, uh, I think, better because of the tapping. Most kids that I know that are good at jujitsu, they have a, a tremendous relationship with their father. It brings them tighter. The, uh, traveling all over the world like I do to all these seminars, I'm, oh, it, 
I don't know how many times I've met kids, these jujitsu phenoms that are eight, nine years old, and their dads bring them to jujitsu, and they're best friends. Avery down in um, uh, in uh, uh, he used to be in Springfield. Now he's in Omaha. He's 16 now. Him and his dad are best friends. And when I when I run into them, I'm like, man, give me advice. You know, what else did you do? Because they're it just you see it over and over again. So um, for those of you with kids out there and maybe you're having trouble with the kids try to talk them into jujitsu you know it it might be hard but i think that if you're having trouble with your kids or you want to ensure a a beautiful relationship a tight relationship a trusting relationship you know a relationship where the kid your kid wants to hang out with his pop and and you do jujitsu too you do it with your kid that that's just a little something that i've learned that's a little insight you can take that for for what it is I, i i'm just I'm just trying no, to, it's good advice. Yeah. It, it, anything the kid can do that's difficult, it's good for their personality development. Yeah. One of the real problems with kids today is because everything's handed to you. You don't develop character because you don't ever face adversity. Your food comes from a supermarket. You can go to a store and get whatever you fuck you need. You know, it's it's not hard. It's 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 easy to live life. And so when when you're not tested, especially as a young person, like a lot of bullying comes from insecurity. And people say, like, what's the best way to stop bullying? I always say the best way to stop bullying is teach kids how to fight. If you had, like, mandatory jiu-jitsu classes, if you had mandatory martial arts classes in school, you would have a whole lot less bullying. Because, first of all, they wouldn't be inclined to do it. And second of all, it wouldn't work. Like, if a guy is talented and skilled and he's 155 pounds and there's an asshole that's 180 pounds that's fucking with him, he's not going to back down. They're going to figure out a way around it. The kid's going to be able to figure out a way. Like, listen, you know, if you want to fucking fight, you want to be an asshole and pick on me, I have to fucking defend myself, then I'll defend myself. But it's not like he's going to be terrified and not know what the fuck to do. It's going to be a completely different scenario. And I think that one of the reasons why people do it in the first place is they're trying to they're trying to prove that they aren't scared themselves. The reason why people are bullies, where they have that instinct, is they're insecure. They're trying to be dominant without you know without putting in the work. But if you put in the work, if you do jujitsu, if you learn a martial art, you actually develop some proficiency. You don't have that need. You don't have that need to dominate people. You don't have to need. You get it all out. You get it all out in the gym. All my bullies were res- in the wrestling team. <laughs> So that kind of like no makes wrestling's sense. different. <laughs> wrestling's a sport, and probably they're just sick of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, were your bu- I mean, did you have bullies growing up? Not really. No. I mean, uh, I was bullied before I started doing martial arts, but from like fourteen on, not really. Because I was like thinking about like all my bullies were all guys in sports, like football team, wrestling, mostly football, wrestling, big time, a lot yeah. Of wrestlers. Yeah, with bullies in what way? Like, how were you bullied? You know, like just pushed around on the like uh, the playground and stuff like that. And, like, what year are you talking tripping. about? Like, I'm how talking about middle school, elementary to middle school. They used to trip you. Yeah, trip you like when you're walking and stuff like that. <laughs> wow, you got dicked with. Yeah, I was fucked with a lot, but then like in high school, it went away. It's a douchebag move, man, to be a bully. It's one of the worst things a person can do. Yeah, it's a and it's a weird natural human weakness. It's a weakness instinct to like <clears throat> shut the fuck up, bitch. Yeah, my shit was Getting mostly because of of my parents were divorced and I was poor. I think was the big why they picked on me. So they pick on you because you're poor? Yeah, because I, I lived in Worthington, which is a higher end place in Columbus. But I was like living on that one part that was all apartments that you know, uh, was it shouldn't have been in there, you know. But somehow I was in Worthington, so right. they knew I, I was poor and uh, I, my parents were divorced back then. Back then, divorce wasn't as crazy as it is now, where. You know, if you're yeah, divorced. it was unusual. Yeah, back a little then. bit more unusual. Yeah, isn't that weird that like when we were younger, people didn't bother getting divorced, or they didn't happen nearly as much? Oh, right. not not in my neighborhood. Everybody <laughs> got divorced. All my friends 
didn't have fathers. All of them except one. Honorio wow. Galvin, he's the only one out of maybe 15 friends that we had growing up. Every, every father left. You, you grew Angeles? up in a really poor neighborhood. It was all though. Mexican. Huh? You grew up in Mexicans be leaving. They get drunk and go back to Mexico and say, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that weird, man, people that don't take care of their kids? As a yeah. father now, doesn't that freak you out? Yeah, man. That I, can't, I can't imagine freaks it. freaks me out, My man. father had 19 kids from eight different chicks. Oh, my God. 19. Is he still alive? I don't know. What kind of crazy hell does that guy live in when he closes his eyes at night? One of the last, the last time I saw him, I was 27, and he, my, uh, my, on my mom's side, my mom's mother and father, they stayed together to the very end. They were married 50 plus years and had 10 kids. And my dad told me, uh, first he told me at, at 14, I saw him at 14, then I saw him at 27. At 14, he tries to shove advice down my throat and he said, make sure you marry when you marry. Uh, your wife, she's at least 15 years younger than you. He told me that, I remember that. And he also said, he also, and my wife is 15 years younger than me. <laughs> it wasn't strategic, but it just happened that way. And, and the, all, the other thing he told me at 14 was uh, be nice to kids because they grow up really fast and they'll turn into adults. So he was trying to give me the right advice. And then at 27, I hadn't seen him in forever. I thought he was dead. He shows up one day. And at my, at my grandfather's house, he goes, do what, you, he's, he's older, and he's like, do what your grandfather did, that's the way. Have kids, every Christmas and Thanksgiving, he has all his family and all his grandkids, that's the way. If I had to do it over, I would do it that way. That's what he said. He was a wow. massive player, just banging everything and just getting everybody pregnant. You wow, know? that's so sad. Yeah. That's a sad life, man. Yeah. And I asked him, I go, what made you want to come by this time? I was like, he hadn't been around, and I just... I heard he, he showed up to my grandfather's house. He had been friends with my grandfather while he was messing with my mom, and him and my grandfather got along. And my aunt called and goes, your dad's, get over here now. Your dad's at your grandma's. And I'm in, I'm in Hollywood. I drive down to Orange County. And the whole drive down, I'm like, I'm, just, I'm not going to give him a hard time. I hadn't seen him in like 13 years. I'm not going to give him a hard time. I'm just going to start over. I get, I get another chance with my father. I was like, it was a long drive. It was like an hour drive. And show up at my grandma's house, and I'm happy. got a smile. I'm like, damn. I thought he was dead. I'd have dreams of him dying. And he's, is this real? He's right here? Shit. Let's go out to eat. Like, we went to Black Angus in Tustin. My mom went. We're all sitting there. I'm like, fuck. We get a second chance. Meanwhile, I'm all happy to see my father. And I rarely, you know, my mom wants to see me more than I, I, I actually drive down and see her. But now I want to start another relationship with my father. So then I asked my father, uh... And at this point, I didn't know about his 19 kids. At this point, I thought he had five kids from a... I knew he was married, had five kids, and he was seeing my mom and on the side. I knew that. My mom was his side girl. That's what I knew at this point. And I said, why did you come by this time? Well, I, I'm curious. And I was expecting him to say, it's been so long, I wanted to see what happened, you know, what, yeah. what's become of you. And he said, oh, I just... I was passing through Orange County, and... And I wanted to see if your grandfather was still cool with me. I didn't know if he was mad at me or anything. Wow. And I just, I just kept a smile on. And right there, right there, I looked at my mom. And I'm like, fuck this dude. Fuck this guy. I'm, I'm going to spend time with my mom. Fuck that dude. And I just kept a smile on. And right there, I made the decision. I will never see this guy ever again. And I never did. But That's so during weird. that dinner, he did say, hey, one, two of his kids live in L.A., the ones from that family. He goes, they want to have dinner with you. They want to meet you. So I did end up meeting with them, never saw them again. They're the ones who told me. They sat me down at the old spaghetti factory in Hollywood when I was 27, and they go, do you have any idea how many kids your father has? I said, five plus me? They go, 
He has 19 kids. Wow. I said, how did that happen? He goes, he got, not only did, did they know about it, he told his family about every kid and every girl he was seeing. He was trying to drive his wife insane to get a divorce. She wouldn't divorce him. She was hardcore Catholic, so she wouldn't divorce. He wanted a divorce. He wanted a, uh, uh, to, to marry my mom. That's what he says, but she wouldn't give him a divorce, so he would tell her. They knew all about me. He goes, he would come home and just say, oh, Maria's pregnant now. Oh, Maria had the baby. We, we named it Edgar. And just, oh, he would come home to his wife and To his wife this? and kids and say, oh, Maria had had uh, just got pregnant. We just had our kid. I'll be gone for the weekend. I'm going to spend time with my son. So I actually Jesus spent time. Ma- my, my dad had my mom in a, an apartment promising that he would leave his. My mom thought he was going to leave his, his, wa- his wife for her, for her. She was in love. And he never did, but he had her in an apartment in downtown L.A. And then after like three years, apparently I lived with him for three years, my mom just said enough's enough. She went back to Orange County, back to her parents' house, and that was the end of that. It's a weird thing, isn't it? Like yeah. the idea that someone could just do that. When you have kids now and you, you know, I know you, you, you know, you get on a plane. We were talking about you leave your house knowing you're going away for the weekend. You miss them as soon as you get in your car. Yeah. The as soon idea, as you start driving away. Yeah. But this guy could just abandon his kid and then see you and not even have like a connection with you. Be like, yeah. oh, I just want to see if your grandfather was mad at me. Yeah. And then when I talked to them, when, I had the, when they told me about the 19 kids, they, it started to make sense. I'm like, no wonder he didn't give a fuck about me. Now I understand. I got 19 kids. Right. How can he? He was, he ne- was never a dick to me. When he would see me once a year, he would cruise by. Did and, he hug you? Uh, maybe a little, not. But I found out that he never said I love you. He, had some, a pro, he never told any of his kids I love you. Never said I love you. So he had something really wrong with him. So then it all became clear. I'm like, oh, this guy has no love in him. That's why he just keeps having kids with wh- whoever and he doesn't really care. He was never a dick to me. He just didn't really like care that much about me. It's kind of weird because that's sort of like, if you look at nature, if you look at the programming of the human animal, that, that's like the programming. The programming is to spread your seed as much as possible. The programming is to have as many babies as you can. The programming is not for the male to take care of them though. It's really strange. You know, the program is to keep going. To keep spreading that seed, and that's one of the reasons why they say that, um, like, the intensity of an attraction, like, it goes away within a few months of meeting someone. Like, the intensity when you first meet them, that intensity of attraction for a man goes away within, like, within the first five or six months because it, usually by then the woman's already pregnant. In nature, yeah, you've been banging her, you know, every day for several months. Yeah. One of the days she's been ovulating, you shot one in there and ensured this intense bond, you know, initially to to make sure that you continued having sex as much as possible to increase your odds of getting them pregnant. And then, all of a sudden, this weird thing kicks in where you want to go. <laughs> Sometimes that kicks in as soon as you nut. <laughs> Post nut syndrome, baby. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 a weird thing. That, that nature is literally set up that way. And so in order to conform to what society expects from a person, you have to fight against your genetics. You have to literally fight your instinct. Your instinct to fuck other girls, their instinct to shoot loads into them and get them pregnant. It's weird. Remember? Do you remember that when we worked on The Man Show, that sketch I wrote uh, for uh, post-nut syndrome? It was a pill that you could take that, uh, or you could... You could have sex with a girl and not get post-nut syndrome if you take it 30 minutes before sex. 
I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, obviously, it never, it never got green-lighted, but it just reminded me of a... It'd be cool is, if that was a pill, right? That is a real thing with men, though. Post-that syndrome is serious. It's the feeling that you have like right after you come, you're like, oh my God, I gotta I got, get out of here. I gotta get out of here. <laughs> It's, it's and if you don't have that, that's when you know, like, hey, I think she's I found cool. somebody. Yeah, she's cool. I think I found a real relationship. If you feel like, hey, let's go get something to eat. Or what are you saying? Don't leave. You let's watch TV. Spooners? What are you saying? You what? Spooners? What are you saying? What? After I come, I just want to spoon and snuggle. and then With go. every chick? Yeah. And then wake Listen, up and do it again in the morning. He's half retarded. Wow. It's different. <laughs> you know those girls that you, <laughs> if you have sex with and they're really dumb and you go, oh, my God, why did I do this? You just want to jump he's, out a window. He's as smart as them, so it's perfect. I don't have that kind of up, they mesh perfectly. Uh, they talk about shoes. Yeah, they sit there and they talk about who's girls, fat. Girls don't really get post nut syndrome unless they're married know. or something, and you know then they feel guilty. Yeah. But if they're not married, if they have sex with you, they 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 fall more in love with you. Oh, that depends Especially entirely. If, that depends entirely on what the experience was like. Generally, sure. though, right? More really? the guys get post nut syndrome way more than girls. It's also the guys that we know too. We know a bunch of savages. You know, yeah. if you compare, like, we went to an accountant's meeting, you know, and said, uh, so, right. hey, how do you guys feel after you come? What? <laughs> you know, people, some people, man, you start talking to them about sex. It's a weird thing when dudes start talking, like, you and I have done this before. We won't name any names, but we've had sex conversations around square dudes, and you watch them panic. Yeah. Like, they absolutely panic. You know, like they don't know what the fuck to say. Like, how often do you fuck your wife? Be serious. And some guys will tell you, like, I fuck my wife like three times a week. No more than that. Like, I don't want to fuck her every day, but I fuck her a lot. And some guys will just go, what? They just, they just Twice clam a day. up. Twice like, a day. I can't. Or they will say, I can't. This is not something that I discuss. Yeah. Like, you don't discuss how often you bang your wife with another man. <laughs> like, why wouldn't you discuss that? Yeah. Do you not love your wife? If you love your wife, you have sex with your wife. So is that off the books? You can't talk about it? Like what do you, I'm not I'm not asking you like specific details. You know what's crazy about my wife is before the kid, you know, once you once you're going out with a girl for a year or two years, you come home from jujitsu. My classes are kind of late. A lot of times I'm broken. I just went to war for an hour with guys from out of town trying to tap me. I come home. I'm gonna drink a protein shake. I'm gonna get on the internet a little bit. I'm just gonna collapse and die generally after jujitsu so um you know for a while there you know it's like i have sex tomorrow you just keep putting it off and you don't have sex as much and then when you have a kid now you can only have sex when that baby's asleep right so now i i really can't have it that much so I want it way more than ever. Jesus hey, don't Christ. Be easy with the voice in the microphone. <laughs> okay. I want it way more than ever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whoa. I like it. People I like it. The one thing I learned yeah. in my old age, the one thing I learned, because I've dated girls that didn't, some girls didn't want sex as much as I did, and that would kind of piss me off. I'm 23, and it's like, man, this is bullshit. I should, I should get it whenever I want. You're my girlfriend. Why are you, oh, you're tired? Like, it would, I would get pissed off, and I'm like, man, I want a girl that wants to fuck Anytime I want it, you know, so, but then you have girls and I've had most girls were, uh, wanted it more than I did. I was always the tired one and they always want it more. And I get to the point where it, it's kind of bothersome. I'm like, damn, she wants it way too much. But now looking back at all that and where I'm at now, yeah, looking back at that now, I would rather want it all the time and rarely get it than always get it and rarely want it. That's the one thing. That's I definitely like. better. Yeah. As long as you are still yeah. getting it. Yes. Yo, yes. did you see this? They Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva are going to host Tough Brazil. 
The Ultimate Fighter That's Brazil. Perfect. Chael Sonnen is going to go to fucking Brazil. Yeah. That crazy asshole. After all the shit that he talked on Brazilians and Vanderlei Silva, and Chael has been like putting uh, like these rhymes up on his uh, on, on his Twitter account. Is it going to be in English or Brazil? On Brazilian. Oh, it's going to be both. It's going to be uh, Americans fighting against Brazilians. Whoa. Sixteen Americans will go to war to find eight guys, and then sixteen Brazilians will go to war to find eight guys. That might be the greatest and tough then ever. Those two teams, they might have a lot of extracurricular violence. Yeah. You know, you got to be careful if your your coach is Chael Sonnen, and he said a lot of nasty shit. Yeah. Excuse me, a lot of nasty shit about Brazilians. But he's just talking trash. That's all yeah, he's doing. Yeah. You know, if you asked him honestly off the record, he'd say they're great fighters. It's a, it's an, an honor and all that yeah. jazz. But he talks so much mad shit. Yeah. And Vanderlei wants to kill him. Yeah. Vanderlei and him is going to be a crazy fight, man. That's going to be crazy. As long as Vanderlei's yeah. healthy. I don't want to name any names or any uh, mm. seasons or anything, but apparently there's been some stuff on the Ultimate Fighter that happened behind the scenes that was so violent that they didn't even want to air it. Really? Have you heard about that? Like fights? Yeah. Like there have been fights that they just completely edit out. Really? Like, yeah. yeah. I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. Dudes get crazy. Yeah, man. Do they have them all still living in houses together? Like they. Yep. Oh my god. Yep. This season they have girls and guys living together. Oh, eight geez. girl fighters and eight. It's a great season. This year's season is awesome. That house must smell so bad. That's. Protein farts. They clean that shit. Yeah. (laughs) And dirty ass. It definitely, definitely probably smells bad. Are you watching the season? Yeah, it's good. Dude, I love it. Dude, the drama between those two chicks, man. Jasmine Duke and what was the girl she fought? Raquel Pennington or something? Was that her name? I'm not sure. Hmm, But she can hit hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know the the girl's names. Yeah. Yeah, but Jasmine Duke, man, talk about heart. She was getting hit hard, and she kept coming back, throwing knees, throwing down. And she's she's actually more of a jiu-jitsu chick than she is a striker. And, man, talk about heart. She's uh, um, out in L.A. now training with uh, Ronda Rousey's team. Dude, you got to come to the one in December, the UFC in December, December 28th. Which, wh- come to Vegas. You got to come. Okay. That's the, that's the one where Ronda's going to fight Misha Tate. Oh, and, shit. Yeah. You got to be there, and it's also Chris Weidman, Anderson Silva, Dose. Oh, damn! I'm there. Yeah, you got you got to be there. That yeah. okay? When Count me, me in. Misha Tate fights Ronda Rousey, when they actually step into the octagon, oh my goodness, that's gonna be, that might that might be the most insane evening ever. Is that Barnett also, or is that the 18th or something? Like that? Uh, let's find out. Who's Barnett fighting next? Um, He's fighting Travis Brown. Oh, that's oh, right. Shit, son. Good fight. Fuck yeah, it is. Yeah. Let me see. Um, doo, 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 doo. Those front Sergio. snap kicks are coming back strong, aren't Fuck they? Yeah, they Everyone's are, throwing those. Yeah, it's crazy. Isn't it weird that 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 technique barely even existed? <laughs> Do you remember us going over it in your garage and putting yeah. it on, on mastering the system? Yeah. And I remember asking about it. I go, why haven't we seen the, the front snap kick so much? It's hard to land. Yeah, and you were like, ah, it's hard to generate power. And you were throwing a couple. I'm like, when you were throwing, I'm like, that looks like it would hurt if it landed. And boom, right after that, Anderson uh, uh, dropped Couture with it. Or no, Anderson dropped Vitor, right? Vitor, yeah. And then Machida dropped Couture. And now everyone's throwing those snap kicks. Yeah. That's Overeem a, goes down with them. That's a big technique now. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Anderson's fight card. Anderson Silva, Weidman 2. Oh, my God, this is an amazing card. Oh, shit. Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate, Travis Brown, Josh Barnett. Oh, shit. Gleason Tebow versus Michael Johnson. Chris Lieben versus Uriah Hall. Oh, shit. 
Wow. Wait, wait, Chris Lieben? Chris Lieben versus Uriah Hall. How is that oh, possible? shit. Chris Lieben is a 185. Oh, Uriah Hall. I thought you were. T- I thought I was thinking Uriah, Uriah Faber. Faber. Okay, no, Uriah okay, Hall, okay. the winner yeah, yeah, yeah. of Ultimate Fighter. Okay, okay. Dennis Seaver versus Manny Gambirian. Ooh. Oh my goodness. That's oh my good. goodness. Can it- Josh yeah. Burnett's on it. Sweet. Oh, C.R. Bahadazura. How do you say it? Bahadazada versus uh, Doomsday Howard. Holy shit. Dustin Poirier versus Daniel Brandau. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> this card's insane. Yeah. That's December 28th. Jim Miller versus Fabricio Camoys. Damn. Oh, my God. This is card's insane. I think Fabricio Camoys is that guy that hit that uh, badass triangle from the mount. Maybe, but now, yeah. Oh, no, that was Sergio something. It's a different guy. I'm sorry. I don't know who did it. Yeah, different guy. Either way, what a fucking card. What a card. This weekend, um, I'm going to, uh, I'm headed to uh, England. Going to Manchester. UFC? Yeah. Well, I'm going, I was going to do that uh, blood treatment thing in Germany, uh-huh. but I'm now I'm going to do it in Santa Monica. They do it yeah. in Santa Monica. What's the blood treatment? It's a stem cell thing that guys do for their discs. It's supposed to be incredible. For, it's been, that's the one thing that kept me out of jiu-jitsu. I've been, like we were talking about, been uh, injuries, and you look forward to getting back to jiu-jitsu. I've been stitched up before. I've had two knee surgeries, and I went back to jiu-jitsu. I had my nose fixed, went back to new jiu-jitsu, and everything's fine. But this was a scary one. When you start getting numb hands, and then we knew uh, quite a few people that have had like real serious issues with their backs, where they have atrophy of their arms, and uh, <clears throat> Boss Rutten has one arm that's like literally half the size of his other arm. It's scary. So I'm not, I wasn't down with any surgeries, man. I wanted to make sure that I did all the right things as far as rehabilitate. And uh, I got a lot stronger. I came back that one day and rolled pretty fucking hard and didn't have any problems, but it was real stiff. And um, the next day it was stiff and sore, but I'm like, at least I could roll. I know I can roll, but I think I can make this thing better you haven't rolled before since? I go back. I haven't rolled since. Mostly been doing just Muay Thai and uh, a lot of uh, weightlifting. Which doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me with kettlebells, and it doesn't bother me with um, with Muay Thai. It's just getting my neck cranked. And the day I came back to your, to the gym too, it was all arm triangles. It was uh, remember we, it was uh, arm triangle transitions and guillotines, which is um, my favorite. I love arm triangles, but goddamn, there's a lot of shit going on yeah. with your neck. So how are you feeling right now today? I feel fine. Stiff. My back stiff. But that's just because I lifted weights yesterday yeah. pretty hard. Man, I hope that uh, works out for you. Me too. You got to do it too, man. Yeah, you got to yeah. try that shit. My back's feeling great, but I would. It'll make it you know, even. It's better. not. It's not 100%. Right. But uh, it doesn't stop me from rolling. Doesn't stop me from training. I just got to really uh, focus on keeping my hamstrings nice and stretched. I n- never stretched my hamstrings ever. That was. That's the downfall of of lower backs is is. Uh, tense and, and tight hamstrings so that's a new thing of mine where every morning I'm waking up I'm stretching my hamstrings before class after class uh, sometimes you know I, 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 I don't have time but I gen- I'm more committed to stretching my hamstrings more than, than anything this any is other stretch this is what the stuff is that's important but this is what the stuff it's called it's the the way uh, the, the the term is called regenokine r-e-g-e-n-o-k-i-n-e uh, orthokine it's, is the actual medical procedure. And you take, they take your blood, extract it, they manipulate it somehow, then reintroduce it to the body as an anti-inflammatory drug to reduce chronic pain and arthritis. 
And the process involves two ounces of blood drawn from your arm that's incubated in a slightly raised temperature. The liquid is then placed in a centrifuge until its constituent parts are separated. The middle yellowish layer is dense with agents that are believed to stop an arthritic agent known as interleukin-1, which causes degeneration of the joints and a breakdown of cartilage. That serum is injected into the patient's affected area. The procedure reduces pain and discomfort to the joint, and the treatment generally lasts five days with six shots of the serum into the affected area. It's normal for a patient to receive annual injections to ease joint discomfort. So many pro athletes have done this and had miraculous recoveries. Peyton Manning went to Germany for this. He's, he did two neck surgeries, and he was on his way out of football, and now he's a fucking superstar again. He's having the best year of his life. Yeah, it's from this shit. Dana White did it, and he's just raves about the results of it. It's supposed so to be if incredible. So if, if you have arthritis in yeah. your spine, your lower back, Louis Ho from 10th Planet Montreal has got this. He's yeah. got arthritis in his back. Yeah, I guarantee you this would help him. I mean, I don't know how much he has. I don't know what I haven't seen his MRI, but I, I guarantee you that this will make him feel better than he feels now. I'm gonna tell. I'll, I'll give everybody the breakdown of it when I do it. I start uh, next week when I get back from England. I go in um, and uh, we'll you see what happens. MRI? Yeah, I already had all that shit done. Yeah, my my MRI. I had my MRI done right after the injury. It looked pretty nasty, man. I had a six millimeter bulge in my neck. It's pretty big. You know, it's reduced now quite a bit, but right after the injury, it was six millimeters. That's not good, and that's why I was having numb hands and uh, all that shit. And you know what it's from? It's from doing it, getting injured, and then taking a couple weeks off and jumping right back in. That's what it is, not allowing myself to fully heal up. And core strengthening. Core strengthening is massive. It's so important. You know, if you're going to be in there throwing down on a regular basis, you've got to do some core workouts. You've got to do something that keeps you, gives you a little armor to protect you from being injured. Yeah. You know, squats. Squats help a lot. Squats, yeah. uh, windmills, kettlebell windmills are huge. I love those. There's that that is uh, strengthening your entire core. You know, all that bending and carrying that heavy weight, Turkish get-ups, that kind of shit. You're doing any shows when you're in England? I am doing two shows, the Dance House Theater. They're both sold out. So go fuck yourselves, English people. Are you bringing anyone? Too late. No, I'm going with a guy uh, who's there. Uh. Local kid and uh, Dave Bishop. Dave uh. Bishop's gonna. Oh, he's up. doing comedy again. He came no, back. No, no, no. He's going to just introduce us. Mark, he's done. Mark he's Hayden never go over there? You ever see Mark Hayden? Like the candy man. You just said him twice. Oh, Don't shit. say the third time. I'll show up. <laughs> um, that's it. This podcast is over. Thanks to uh, LegalZoom.com. Can I throw a couple to, seminars? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I'll give me a second. Go to LegalZoom.com, enter in the code name Rogan in the referral box. Save yourself some money. And Audible.com. Go to Audible.com forward slash Joe and save yourself some money by getting a free audio book and 30 free days of Audible service. Over 150 different titles to choose from. You will fucking love them. Thanks also to Onnit.com. Go to O-N-N-I-T, use the code name Rogan, and save 10% off any and all supplements. What's going on, Eddie Bravo? I'm going to be at 10th Planet Yuma, November 9th. I'm going to be at 10th Planet San Francisco, November 23rd. Go to 10thplanetjj.com. Get on the Nibiru forum, my message board for all the info and details. Uh, my podcast is Eddie Bravo Radio. It's on iTunes and Stitcher. And, dude, send me your seminars when you're doing them. I tweet them for you. I okay. tweet everybody's dates. I, tweet. I never want to bother you with that. Don't kind of worry. You've it's done not, so much it's for not me, a, man. It's not a bother. It's a, people love it. They want it. And anybody who's interested, you know, it's it's something to do. You should you should do it. It's a, you'll, you'll learn a lot. Seminars are awesome. 
it's it's a great way to see a new uh, aspect of jujitsu to check out a different person's game. And I know how much time and effort you put into them. They're they're awesome. They're great seminars. Well, thank you very much. Shit, I've been going to your seminars since. Damn, when was the first one we did? God what? damn, it was a long ass time uh, ago. The first one, I think, Colorado, Boulder. Oh, when we started place? doing seminars with your comedy yeah. kids. We did one in Miami. Miami. That? Oh, yeah. Which that's we were like right. an hour late. <laughs> Do you remember how crazy that rain was? Yeah. I'll never forget that. Yeah. We hit a wall of water in Miami that you couldn't see anything in front no. of you. You had to stop on the freeway. The whole freeway stopped dead you for had to rain. Stop. It was fucking crazy. Yeah. That was awesome. I man. haven't did a seminar in Miami in forever. Jesus. A lot of jujitsu. I think that was the last time. That was the last time. There's a lot of jiu-jitsu in Miami. Yeah. A lot of MMA in Miami. A lot yeah. of jiu-jitsu. A lot of Brazilians like uh, that uh, Miami weather. So follow him on Twitter. It's Eddie Bravo on Twitter or 10thplanetjj.com. And come down to headquarters. Um, and, and as soon as I get this back shit settled out, within the next month or so, I'll be back on a regular basis. I teach downtown. Just email me for info, twisterbravo at sbcglobal.net. And we should, yeah, once I'm back in, man, we should do some shit together. We'll, we'll figure out some, do some seminars in the same place where I'm doing comedy. Dude, let's let's work insane. that out. Let's, let's do, do something. That. I'm down. Let's make it I'm happen, down. bitch. Beautiful. All right, uh, folks, we will be back soon. Um, next week, I got uh, Sam Harris is here next week. Should be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, someone else as well. I forget who. Don't worry about it. It'll be good. Don't sweat it. All right? Keep it together, you dirty freaks. And uh, I will be at the Irvine Improv, November 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. That's uh, the next date coming out that's available. The River Cree in Edmonton, I think, is sold out. And then I'm in Vegas on December 28th at the Mirage. 27th or 28th? Which one is that? Which one's Friday? December... 27th at the Mirage in Vegas with the one and only Joey motherfucking Coco Diaz. So holla at your boy. All right, we'll see you fucks very soon. We love the shit out of you. And uh, thanks for all the love back. Mwah. Big kiss. Thanks everybody came to Houston this weekend too. Thank you. Had a great fucking time. Thank you for having me, man.